there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for uh, pretty much the end of 2015. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Final Fantasy XIII-2. And, and hi, I'm Matt Peckham, and my game of the week is not Star Wars The Force Unleashed. Oh, poor Force Unleashed. You don't like pulling Star Destroyers out of the sky with your bare hands? You know, I kind of liked that per- one particular sequence, but... <laughs> <laughs> that is that kind was... of the only memorable thing that came out of that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was cool, but yeah, not so much that one. But so, so, uh, so Final Fantasy XII-2, not, not that game. Well, I just had to pick that out simply because uh, what we're probably going to talk about, Matt, is is a big JRPG, and I feel it's very different from other JRPGs. I expect you'll agree. I know the designer agrees. Uh, and so I was just thinking, like, what's a typical JRPG that I could say to contrast, you know, what we're going to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles? And I actually had to look up the name of, like, all the Final Fantasies, they run together for me. Like, like even Lightning Returns, isn't that... Like thir- technically, like the thirteen three, or yeah. all of them are very confusing to me, Matt. It is well, the naming scheme kept changing too, right? It was like X I I I, and I like how you say that, by the way. And then, and then dash two, did that have a subtitle? And then light, and then lightning returns was lightning returns colon Final Fantasy X, whatever. <laughs> Matt, I have so. to confess, you're asking the wrong guy. I, I actually, I yeah, because I've played some of them and don't even remember the names. Uh, by the way, we should tell the listeners, you are Matt Peckham from Time.com. You, you own that domain, right? Like that's your that's your place over there, right? You, oh, absolutely. You Time, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. It was it was it was, it was really cheap. It was they were, they were running a bargain discount. And uh... <laughs> uh, now, how long have you been at Time? You know, it's actually you're catching me at a, at a at a quick at a transitional moment. I was a, a contract freelancer for them as uh, as their games writer from about March 2011, and then they uh, just in the last month and a half they we we made the arrangement full time. So I came on board as a full time full time time. Oh, so you're, you're like the new guy. I'm the I'm the new guy. I am the F F N G as they say. <laughs> what is it? What is F N G? Well, this is oh, oh this, this, you is, get, right, right, okay. this, this is a family podcast, right? Like, <laughs> right. Sometimes it takes me a minute to figure things out that are pretty obvious to other people, right? F and G, right? Uh, and you also are uh, a fan of Xenoblade Chronicles and Xenoblade Chronicles X, like me. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. Uh, so tell us real quick, Matt. Does that also come from a fondness for JRPGs at large in general? It it does, but it, I came to the. I came to the genre a little late. Um, I think the first... Uh, I'll probably miss something here, but no, the first formal JRPG that I played was Final Fantasy II, which is actually Final Fantasy IV in the chronology, and they named it II when it came over here. Um, and then I kind of checked out of the genre for a long time, because I was a PC gamer. You know, I, this was when I had the Beholder and Flight Sim 4 and, uh, and all those games were big, and I was over on the PC side. And then I came back to it, like, after Final Fantasy VII. I mean, so there's this huge gap. Mm-hmm. And kind of rediscovered, went back after, long after everybody had, you know, praised that game and started to, to get interested in it. And it, probably it's an oversimplification, but summing up why I like JRPGs is that I like the audaciousness, I think. Um, it's so, this is maybe a Westerner 
the Westerner other thing here, but I'm so uh, into the idea of being so completely thrown out of what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, you know, and the idea that it's, it's crazy, a lot of it's crazy and, and hyperbolic, but there's kind of a metaphorical thing going on that you can get, it, get your head around maybe. I don't know. That's Matt, you're actually making me think of, uh, as, a, as a Westerner who loves movies, every now and then when I watch like a Kurosawa movie or, or a Japanese movie, there's this completely different, almost histrionic style of acting and reacting to events and being emotional uh, that, that, that I don't quite understand. It doesn't seem natural to me. Uh, and I don't want to be racist, but it seems like very Japanese, like Japanese drama. You know, Kurosawa has people like rending their garments and pulling their hair. And, and even in little jokey moments in Japanese movies, they're kind of like over the top. Um, so I can kind of see what you're talking about when I think about Japanese film. And certainly JRPGs are also like outrageous is a good word for it. Or audacious, I think he said. Uh, and it does remind me of this maybe histrionic tendency to be dramatic in, in some Japanese narratives. Yeah. I, so Yeah, another another quick name I I'd i check because he is he's sort of the, the height of it all for me is is you know and it's the obvious one is Miyazaki and um mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. And and he's a little I mean he's a little he's a lot maybe subtler than than some of the stuff we're we're referencing here. Um maybe not quite as over the top, but uh yeah, I don't know. It's you know, this this gets a little a field here, but I, I remember Joseph Campbell, you know, talking once, and he was saying something about how um, you're walking along in Manhattan in this big corporate city, and then suddenly you stop, you know, you stop into a church, and the church throws you out of yourself. You're so completely not prepared for that 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 shift, mm-hmm. and and I think sometimes that's what is happening when I'm I'm playing a JRPG, and, and sure. what I like about it. So, well, let's get specifically into Xenoblade Chronicles X, which. Uh, if you're listening and you haven't deduced by now, that's what we'll be talking about. Uh, you liked Xenoblade Chronicles X better than Fallout 4 and The Witcher, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it was, uh, even though you didn't make it, uh, you didn't play it in time to put together your top ten list, you said it would be in your top ten, and I think you called it the best uh, RPG of the year. Not JRPG of the year, but the best RPG of 2015. Uh, so given that you're a huge fan of it, and I sometimes, morning you, Matt, I might be a wet blanket about certain things. I really like Xenoblade Chronicles X, but I'm kind of struggling with some of my feelings about it, so you'll have to help me out with this. But t- tell me briefly what sets this apart from other JRPGs and what sets it apart from other open world games, like we've seen, like, like Witcher 3 and Fallout. Absolutely. Um, well, and, and, and I should say, by the way, likewise, Tom, I, I can't wait, actually, um, <clears throat> to get your perspective on, on some of the things that, uh, you know, that maybe you didn't think worked as well. So, so I, you know, I think probably, the, okay, well, here, let's talk about something that I, I think I've seen you talk about in the past, which is the problem, one of the problems with open world games, and, and in this case, I think we were, you were talking specifically about Bethesda's games, and stop me if I'm mischaracterizing anything that you said, but that the whole fast travel experience, the idea that um, that as you're working your way through this, this ginormous world, that uh, to play a Bethesda game, the game is really sort of designed around the idea that you just have to fast travel everywhere. And, and, mm-hmm. and the idea that you might actually take the time to go through and visit all of the individual locales and just enjoy the scenery and, and explore is, is maybe not part of that that approach to game design. Um, I, for me, Xenoblade Chronicles X and, and Xenoblade Chronicles before it figured out how to get me interested in, in just 
exploring every last nook and cranny. Um, and part of that is, I don't know if we want to get into this yet, but the collection quests, the little blue diamonds, um, uh, they're, they're absolutely essential. You know, I mean, you can never quite have enough of them, it seems. They're, they're mm-hmm. used for so many different things, so many different game places. There's never a time you don't want to pick one up. Like, there's never a time where you think, eh, my inventory's full, you know, I'm carrying too much weight. Like, that's a big thing in a lot of Western RPGs, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there's never a time you don't want to pick one of those blue dots up. Or you, there's never a time you have to open up your inventory and get rid of a bunch of, you know, purple flowers or, or insect shells that are bogging your down or filling up your inventory. That's a fa- yeah, you always want that stuff in Xenoblade Chronicles. That's a fantastic point. They, the Xenoblade Chronicles X does not have encumbrance, does it? Yeah, I, I think it might have. I haven't hit up against it, but I think it like you can only carry 99 of certain objects or, or something. But yeah, it seems like the limitations are more a factor of of their database than any sort of in-game fiction about what you're carrying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so that so for for oh go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say so that that's the that's probably the chief difference I think because they're both like like to to compare it to Fallout 4 or The Witcher. Three, which are these equally gigantic, you know, freely explorable uh, places. Um, uh, I think that's probably the biggest difference for, for me between those games and, and, and XCX is the uh, <laughs> is is that sort of exploring everything and wanting to. So, by the way, real quick. So, XC, are we going to do XCX? I'm not sure <laughs> if I can. I'll try. We don't have. If we want to. <laughs> <laughs> we can give it a shot, Matt. I'm always open for it. Yeah. Okay. I'll try that. All right. Uh, so, because so before we talk about what it different, what distinguishes it from other JRPGs, uh, I'm glad you brought up fast travel because one of the things that bugs me about fast travel in a Bethesda game uh, is that I feel like it does violence to the sense of immersion of actually being there. Uh, in a Bethesda game, a mountain should matter. You know, if I have to get to the other side of that mountain because Bethesda has gone to pains to make it look huge and give it grandeur and spectacle and majesty. If I have to get to the other side of it, it should matter. Um, you know, if there's an ocean, getting across the ocean should matter. Just fast traveling across it robs it of any implications, of any meaning. Uh, and I think that's because their games are so good at immersion, at this first-person, you-are-there sensibility. And the moment it pops you over to a loading screen to jump you to a town across the continent, you're no longer there. You're sitting in front of your computer watching a loading screen. Uh, One of the reasons I think it doesn't bother me in Xenoblade Chronicles is because it's not that first-person perspective. It's not so much you are there. It's here are your characters. You know, you're a third person. You're basically playing with little toys, little dolls or action figures, if you want to call them that. Uh, That third-person remove makes it much easier for me to accept contrivances like zapping across the continent um, or picking up little glowing blue things that represent any number of doodads. Uh, like I feel like in this game, gameplay systems matter more than immersion. And maybe that's a hallmark of JRPGs, uh, but I don't mind being taken out of it with a loading screen nearly as much as I do when I'm looking out through the protagonist's eyes and I see the front of my gun. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought I, up fast travel. I, it doesn't bother me here. I think that's a terrific point, actually, um, you know, as I'm thinking about it, that, yeah, I think that, that eloquently say, sort of articulates what maybe one of the key differences is that so many JRPGs are about. I mean, they are, so many of them are, 
like Western RPGs are about combat um, in some form or another, uh, and, and yet the mechanism for that combat, um, it, so many JRPGs are about an almost indirect form of combat, like, like in the Xenoblade series, but then also in some of the Final Fantasies and such, where you're not... Uh, you kind of I, let me back up here. You are you are tactically maneuvering your characters around the battlefield in the Xenoblade games, but there's this this un, unbelievably intricate sort of multi-layered uh, you know system of, of of actions that you're triggering, and it's it's sort of indirectly. You, know, you have the auto attacks, but all these other things going on. Whereas in in so many Western RPG games, you're you know you're you're pointing the gun. You're it's like a shooter, or um, I'm generalizing here, of course, but. It, it feels like that's a, an important distinction. So I think, yeah. Right. Uh, so then how does it differ then for you? Because I don't like JRPGs. I haven't played a lot of them, but it's definitely not my preferred genre. Uh, however, I love Xenoblade Chronicles, and I, I'm really digging Xenoblade Chronicles X. Uh, how can you account for how an, a, a guy who's not into JRPGs might really appreciate XCX, as you're calling it? <laughs> You know, I think the biggest thing, and this this comes from Takahashi himself, because he's he's talked about how he he's not really a fan of Japanese games, doesn't play them, hasn't played them for I think he he told me something like thirty years, and that he mostly plays Western games, reads Western books, prefers Western films, and so I think like the obvious, the, the most obvious difference would be that it is you don't see many, if really any completely open, free-roam, sand, almost like sandbox-style uh, role-playing games in the, in the JRPG idiom. They're not completely non-existent, but it, it just isn't the way it works. I mean, think about a game like, like Final Fantasy XIII, which that builds all the way to that 25- or 30-hour point, and then finally uh, becomes this sort of kind of open experience where you're then putting into practice these things that you've spent 25 or 30 hours learning. I think that tends to be more, you know, where you're going to see openness, it tends to occur in that way. Like Final, well, Final Fantasy VII would be another great example of it, this long, linear slog where you're learning the, the battle systems and then suddenly, you know, it, it opens up a little. And, and here comes Xenoblade Chronicles and then Xenoblade Chronicles X where, um, you know, I, I don't know that there are, there are many Western RPGs that, that can compare um, to its grandeur, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what uh, so, so, uh, Takahashi's full name is it Tatsuya Takahashi? Did I get that right? You did, and you're probably pronouncing it better than I am. So, <laughs> uh, uh, no, don't don't hold me to that. Uh, and he is? Do they call? Is he the the director, the de- developer, designer? Do you know what his official title would be on these games? I do. He's the executive director, and he is also um, he is also the name attached to to all of the Xeno games. So going all the way back to to Xeno Gears for the original PlayStation, which was his first sort of, you know, massive uh, open JRPG with... It was very dark at the time. It was very counter-culture, just very dark storyline with with sort of deep philosophical underpinnings, a a little bit more like Xenoblade Chronicles in that sense. Like like Mm -hmm. Xenoblade Chronicles X, we can get get this later, I'm sure, but it kind of dispenses with a lot of that profundity and in favor of just, you know, throwing you out there into the world and letting you, you, you tool with the gameplay systems. Actually, I'd like to get into that right now, because that, Matt, is a lot of my uh, ambivalence about Xenoblade Chronicles X, uh, is that I really liked 
uh, the, the the philosophical underpinnings, the narrative, the themes, the, the story, and the characters uh, of Xenoblade Chronicles. And I'm keenly missing that in Xenoblade Chronicles X, and that's something that Takahashi intentionally, in his conversation with you, said that they moved away from. Uh, you describe in your review uh, the the you use the, the word the term design restlessness uh, about Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I think sums it up. Is that they they seem to get a little restless and they didn't want to do that same philosophical storytelling and they wanted to explore this more open, massively multiplayer online kind of format. Uh, and, and I really keenly miss the stories from, from, from the original game. I miss, there was a character named uh, Malia, and you find out she's a princess, and you, you come to her kingdom in the middle of the game. Uh, there's a little fuzzy guy named Ricky, uh, and at first he's comic relief, but then you meet his family, and you go to his village where he lives, and he suddenly becomes fleshed out as a character. Uh, I love this duality between the, the biological and mechanical entities um, that you're actually physically moving around on them, you know. You're at the thigh, and then you go to the, the, the hip, and then you adventure in a hand that fell off at his feet, and then you move to the other one. Uh, and it, it tied into the mythology of this world, this, this really vividly imagined world uh, in a unique way. Um, I love, and this might be a spoiler, but I think it's been long enough since it came out, they did this really cool thing at the beginning of Xenoblade Chronicles where you meet the classic female sidekick. She might have even been your sister, I forget. But, but at any rate, uh, you're the, the, the young boy and the young girl, and you're at a village, and then it gets attacked, and there's a terrible assault by evil bad guys, and the girl dies. And you're like, whoa, okay. And it's, you, know, you mentioned Xenogears being dark. It's a very dark thing. Yep. Uh, yep. So you're playing the game, and then later she comes back. I loved that, and I loved being surprised, like being blindsided by this really cool narrative twist. And I have to say, Matt, I'm not feeling any of that uh, in X. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you, Tom. It, it is, it is in, a, in a better, maybe more idealized, like I wouldn't defend its lack of, its, its non-existence in this game. In, in, in maybe a well, let me let me think about this though for a minute. See, my mind keeps changing a little bit about this. I keep going back and forth, and maybe that's a sign of of the difficulty getting around this thing. About do I miss that story, or do I do I prefer the the way that it it almost feels like I'm unencumbered um, mm-hmm. by the story to be able to sort of just dive in and and treat this more like a I I maybe we should back up and just quick t- t- summarize what the story is that. That you're a, you're a human survivor um, who's uh, uh, fled Earth. There's been this alien attack. Uh, the way I read it was that the aliens were attacking each other, and Earth gets kind of caught in the crossfire. And you, you you hop in these arcs. The arcs go off into space. They crash. I, I think you might the the only arc that survives crash lands on a planet named Mira. And now you're you're trying to to figure out how to survive. There are all these indigenous life forms, and then you know you start bumping into other things. I don't know how much we want to spoil here, but uh, um, I, I think that it, it, the survivalist aspect of it, the idea that it, 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 isn't, it, it doesn't have to be this, this, this deep, long philosophical thing, and it's just about sort of eking out a hard scrabble, you know, living, going off and, and fighting this thing or learning about that thing or collecting information about from this probe over here and, and uh, you know, pulling in this amount of money. 
I don't know. I don't know if it's, you know, I'm, I'm only 50 hours in, I should say. You know, I'm 50 hours uh, th- into the game, <laughs> and it feels like I'm only halfway halfway through. That was the point at which I decided to review it. Um, sure. And, uh, and maybe in, with another 50 hours, I'll be cursing it. <laughs> I don't know. But at this point, I just, it just feels so rich still to me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not bored every time I, even when I'm revisiting areas I've been to, because the other thing that I love about the game is that it mm-hmm. so mixes up its, its flora and its fauna that yeah. you never feel like you're moving from one area. Okay. This was, you know, like in like an MMO here's, I can't remember any of world of Warcraft's areas, but you know what I mean? Here's the area that you go to when you're level one through 10. And here's the area right. that you go to when you level 11 through 20, you know, you can stumble right out the door and there's a level 71, you know, 91, whatever it is, those giant brontosauruses, and watch out, you know? Yeah. And it, it, does, it does feel uh, a lot less contrived. I mean, it, it's MMO gameplay, but it doesn't have that contrived sense of you belong here at this point, and don't go to these other places because you're not supposed to be there. It's very inviting. Like, it's basically telling you, hey, if you see something that cons purple... It's the language for, you know, you see it, it's purple, you know it's too dangerous to fight. Don't run off, you're still welcome to, to run around here, just don't piss this thing off. <laughs> you know, and it gives the, it gives the land this sense of, eh, there's, stu- there's hostile stuff out there, it's not necessarily going to be confined behind this border between these two territories, it's just wandering around. Uh, and some of it will ignore you, some of it you have to give it a wide berth. Uh, yeah, I, I love that, that aspect of the world building. Uh, it might be MMO gameplay, but it's definitely not that strict MMO world building where areas are gated by how difficult the monsters are. Yeah. Uh, that that landing and being uh, uh, basically you're shipwrecked, right? Like it's kind of a Robinson Crusoe story writ large. Is that you're not just one man on an island; you're a city ship on a planet, uh, and you have to survive. You have to figure out what's going on. Uh, you end up. I don't think this is a spoiler, but the, these evil aliens that maybe blew up Earth, they might be involved. They might be at the planet, too. You don't know for sure. There are reveals about that. Uh, I kind of feel, Matt, like that's, that's been so done to death. The idea of being shipwrecked uh, or having amnesia. Like, like, here's a strange world. You don't know anything about it. Go explore. Uh, yep. I, I kind of appreciate that they're doing something different with this whole idea of a city ship. But that's, it's just not much of a hook for me. Because uh, here's another thing, Matt, real quick. I don't really care about any of these characters. Like, you create your own avatar, and he or she just basically stands around mute and just kind of loiters while the actual <laughs> plot things are happening. That looks really weird. And every now and then, you have to pick one of two dialogue choices for your, for your person. But otherwise, I don't really... None of the characters are really resonating with me. Like I, I, I know that when I'm done playing... I don't think I'm going to remember a single one of these characters. Yeah, I think I think I, I think I'm having problems remembering some of the characters even as we're talking. Yeah, it's there's the uh, the, the protagonist, the, the main guy, the you know, or, or gal or whoever it is that you choose to create. I've always had that that issue where where they're they have to be mute, they have to not talk, or you're supposed to imagine that they're talking. Because I guess actually they do have voices. But they don't. All you can do in interactions that you have with characters in the game is what is it? Nod or shake your head most of the time. Right. And yep. and that is that is off-putting after the richness of uh, of Shulk and uh, and his you know and all the rest of the cast. Um, and I think you in your review of 
for the original Xenoblade Chronicles, I think he pointed out that one of the wonderful things about that game was that there really wasn't one protagonist. They were all so richly developed yeah. that you just followed all of these characters uh, uh, through. And, 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 and that, is, that is a problem. Um, you know, again, for me, it was, it was a problem. I think I was willing to overlook in that um, the, the rest of the game made up just for me in terms of what I was looking for or what was pushing my buttons, uh, I should say, from, from the last game. Because I think the way I described it in, in that, uh, the, the, I did like a little, a little Let's Play video just as an overview for people who might stumble along. People coming to time.com are going to look at Xenoblade's Chronicle, Xenoblade Chronicles X and go, what, what is that? <laughs> I, I don't care about that. So, I mean, it's, it's a whole different market. So I had to do the, this Let's Play video. But in the video, I think I, what did I say? I said something like, it's not that, it's, it's not that it is a, um, uh, uh, a different game. It's that it's in many ways, story aside, the same game with just completely different iterations and versions of these ideas, either more fleshed out versions um, or, or some like the affinity system is a little different now and, and, and stuff where they just kind of traded one thing for another. So I don't know if we're, if we're too soon to talk about that, but that, uh, like how they compare, how the two games compare. Well, it, it, the, whole, the whole overarching structure of um, like capturing hexes and putting those nodes out and doing a quest to basically conquer a hex and put your little shield on it. Uh, it's, and and, and it, it, in the previous game, there was this idea of building up, it was called Colony 47 or Colony 7, I forget what it was, but about a third of the way into the game, you find this destroyed settlement and you rebuild the settlement. Uh, and it had this whole city-building conceit. Uh, Fallout 4 tries to do something similar with settlements. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think fails in Fallout 4. But there's very there, that kind of is here in Xenoblade Chronicles X as well. This idea that you're trying to conquer the planet and flourish and secure these little nodes to earn minerals. Um, so that, I kind of... It feels like that colony seven bit from the previous game just fleshed out into the whole new game. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um the the you know and then all of the other well, let me ask you about that, about your your thoughts. I'm curious to get your thoughts on on I think it's called Frontier Nav, right? They call that the Hex Map Frontier Nav, I believe. Oh, I wouldn't know the name of it. But yeah, you're right. No, because there's the different modes that each have a different name, I think. Right. Right. What I I I confess that I spent well, I have two confessions. The first confession is that I, I ordered the strategy guide because. Uh-oh. <laughs> so there's a word for that. Matt. There's a word for that, and that word is cheating. Ah, <laughs> uh, I guilty as I, I resemble that remark, Tom Chick. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you order it before you got the game, or were you playing the game and you were like, "I'm going to need a strategy guide"? The, the latter. I I was this, and this would I suppose help make the point. I was I. It was a much more challenging ramp up for me, uh, for whatever reason, than than Xenoblade Chronicles. I had a there's so much information, you know. I mean, you've got two screens now instead of one, um, and on that second screen, there's so much symbology, some of which is explained, you know, in the man in the manual, which is in the game, but but off apart from the game. You, know, you have to go click mm-hmm. manual, and then it loads the, the Nintendo Wii U manual interface for manuals, and you're scrolling through a forty some page sort of document and, and trying to remember things or, or sketching them, you know, like sketch. I was like, at one point I was hand sketching the icons on, on a, a piece of paper. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. On my notes here, I wrote things like 
pink spiky icon or a pointy arrow icon. Like <laughs> I was trying to, yeah, radiant gun icon to try to take notes for what the different buffs and debuffs were. Yeah. That is that is so great. I could. Uh, well, it's. I think that's. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not a game designer, so I always want to be careful not to to just say, oh, they should have done this and should have done that, because you know, what do I know? But the, I wish they had found a way to work some of that stuff into the game somehow so that I could, I could see a little better or learn a little better maybe you know, early on how all of those, those things interrelate so I wasn't scrambling trying to, to figure out like when I get into Oblivia and, and, and I'm seeing a tornado with a lightning bolt and I'm suddenly taking all right. this damage and I'm going, what is happening? Right, and, right. and then I'm rushing back to the manual going, oh, okay, okay, that's weather. <laughs> So stuff like that. And that even comes up in combat, too, because in combat, the, the buffs and debuffs, they're just icons there. And you're like, you know, have I, you know, what what effects are, are on me? What effects are on the monster that I'm fighting? Uh, and it's just all those little icons. And kind of even, I guess it makes it more manageable, maybe harder. But but rather than just having a row of icons, they'll, they'll alternate through a series of icons. Like it'll show you an icon that'll flash to a different icon and a different icon. Like, it's sort of like flipping through a, a handful of index cards or something, <laughs> each with an icon on it. Uh, and it really does expect you to, to learn if you want to sort of finesse or optimize the combat, which I think you do. Uh, it expects you to kind of learn those, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I was willing to. And that's that's the thing. Once I once I went with it and once I, I tried, you know, I, it is, I guess... I guess that's kind of a, a thing, a convention about JRPGs, is they do expect you... Um, I mean, they've tried in recent years to make themselves more approachable to Western audiences, but there is a maybe a steeper curve going in, and, and, and there's a little bit of that in, in, in most of the JRPGs I've played where they just sort of assume... They just sort of assume that you're going to figure this stuff out and you're going to go get the reference thing, or, you know... I, oh, oh, I have, to, I have to bring this up before I, I forget. Um, Tom Chick, when I was out on Google... And I was trying to get my scale. Right. And I was trying to figure out how to go get the little thingies. I can't think of their names to collect them. Were they flea bag squashes? <laughs> yeah. They were yep. flea bag squashes. And I Googled that, and I had no idea. But the third result, and I think it probably still is if you type it now, is your tweet. <laughs> <laughs> about that. Oh, it was so awesome because I'm like, oh, so I'm not the only one here because I think in the tweet you said something like, I've, I, you know, I, I've just spent four hours, <laughs> five hours, trying to find these stupid things, and uh, oh my god, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Now, is that sort of thing something you get in the uh, in the strategy guide? Like, if you need a specific collectible for a, a quest. The strategy guide will tell you where it is. No, and that is, I guess that's why I, I brought it up. It, 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 the strategy guide does not have that information. It has, what it has is it has a sort of a cross index in the back where it shows you a map of the world and it shows you where the likely places for this thing to show up. But since the game has multiple levels, you can be above or below, sometimes, you know, multiple levels above or below and doesn't have like in other games, it ha- you know, you'll, you'll know on, on a radar map whether there's a down arrow or an up arrow indicating what, where what you're looking for might be. Um, mm-hmm. in, in this case, you know, including in the strategy guide, when it says that it's in this area, it's not taking into account height. And so I spent all my time uh, uh, running around on the, what is it, the plane underneath the area that where I was supposed to be hours oh, right, right. before I finally yeah. realized I needed to go up on, you know, I needed to go up on top and... Uh, there's like a promontory sticking out over it. You were underneath it, and you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. Uh, 
So I should confess to you, I think that's a typo on my part. Like, I think they're actually called something like like fleece bag squashes. So I think if you actually Google the right name of it, you might get more hits. But <laughs> I think I misread it uh, and, and wrote it incorrectly. So the story behind that thing, uh, just for the listeners, there are the, the storyline in Xenoblade Chronicles X moves through chapters. And some of the content is gated by the storyline chapter that you're in. When you get to, I think, chapter six, it gives you the option to unlock or to earn a license to pilot scales, these big mechs. Uh, so you think, great, I'm going to go get the license real quick, and then I'm going to f- be stomping around in mechs in no time. You go to get the license, and instead it's like this eight labors of Hercules deal, <laughs> where you've suddenly got like eight eight quests. Like to get the license, you have to do A, B, C, D. Like it's literally eight things that you have to do each a quest. Some of these you might have already inadvertently solved them just in the course of normally playing, but some of them are a huge pain in the ass. One of them, which is kind of notorious, is finding these flea bag squashes, which are, as far as I can tell, Matt, only in that one place in the world. I don't know if they spawn other places. They do. Uh, they do. They do. Do you want me to? Do, do you want me to spoil a little something? Or I guess it wouldn't be spoiling if you you've already got. Them. I don't need them anymore. I mean, <laughs> where were you? Uh, you know. 50 hours ago and uh yeah you're gonna be you're gonna be so mad because this person i i had to find it online it's not in the strategy guide it's not in the manual obviously not in the manual but somebody said hey i there was this little cave over in oblivion and the blah 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 southwest so i had to go find where the cave was because you can't it's hard there aren't like xy coordinates that you can refer people to you have to still kind of poke around but i went into this cave and there were like 60 or 70 blue diamonds it is like the blue diamond oh trope so i walked in there and it was just like Bam, boom, 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 all of them, just like that. And I, I said, what? What is this? So, yeah. I wonder, I wonder, Matt, if that's part of the thinking behind uh, – they, they have this weird kind of – it's not quite chat, but it's where you can type in things, like leave notes for people, almost like Dark Souls, I guess. Uh, and I wonder if they're expecting that little hints like that people will be sharing online, like saying, hey, go find this cave with all the blue dots in it. Uh, Unfortunately, I turned that stuff off because I found it very distracting while I was playing. Um, yeah. But so the flea bag squashes, by the way, uh, I ended up finding where one spawned, and literally, and this is so tedious that I had to do this. I would pick it up, I would save the game, I would reload, I turn, I would back out, and then reload it so the little thing would respawn. And it wasn't always, I don't think, a flea bag squash. Like I think I had to do it several times, uh, and it was just the most inelegant brute force solution to something that I, I presume I should have been doing something else to get these, but the game didn't tell me that. Uh, oh, and here's another thing, Matt. When, when we get review copies of games like this, sometimes we'll get uh, a little sheet, and it has, like, bullet points, and it says, hey, here's your review copy. Here are the features to look out for. Uh, and then sometimes it'll say, in writing up your coverage, please don't spoil, and then it'll list some things that it doesn't want you to spoil. And sometimes in terms of uh, listing these things it doesn't want to spoil, it actually spoils them. <laughs> like like the tip sheet will say, hey, please don't write about how the character you're playing, how his father turns out to be a vampire. And you're like, well, what? I didn't, I didn't you just ruined it for me. <laughs> hey, please don't write about the reveal at the end when you find out you're a ghost. Uh, so I tend to not read those things. After I'd played through Xenoblade Chronicles for a while, I went ahead and I picked it up, and I was reading down through those little things they didn't want us to spoil, and little tips they gave us. One of the tips specifically related to the flea bag squashes. Ah. Uh, 
it said it's sort of like they knew that us poor press guys were going to have trouble with this. Uh, so they're like, hey, if you're having trouble with flea bag squashes, here's where you find them. Oh my God, Tom! So, that is that's yeah. I'm exactly the same as you. I, I, in fact, I I think I was talking to Chris Kohler over at Wired about this because um, I'm remembering talking about Metal Gear Solid Five, and they did that with MGS Five, which is which is another you know the kind of game that you don't want yeah to, to be spoiled. And here they're spoiling. Don't talk about blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I didn't. I, I haven't even looked at that sheet. Really, it's on the sheet. Oh, now I really feel foolish. Okay. <laughs> and for what it's worth, I don't think there's other spoilers. Like, but I partly too am gun shy about that, Matt, because I remember uh, accidentally finding out about Fiora uh, in the first game in Xenoblade Chronicles, the girl who dies and then later she comes back. I remember at one point looking up something about character builds and seeing on the list all these skills for Fiora. And thinking, wait a minute, no, she's dead. And I kinda, it kind of ruined for me that, oh, you, later on you're going to get to play her. Uh, so yeah, I'm super gun-shy about looking stuff up and reading those like, hey, don't spoil this, Sheets. Um, yeah, well. So you call, uh, you, you used a couple of uh, sort of metaphors for the way the game unfolds. You mentioned like Russian nesting dolls at one point. Uh, you talked about like working your way out from the middle of an onion and uncovering new layers. Uh, whereas I'm disappointed that I, I, I don't know, and, and I'm like you, Matt, I've spent about 50 hours, I think we're probably around the same place. Uh, I don't know how much story is left. I don't know if maybe there are going to be some cool reveals. They've recently introduced a couple of like these bounty hunter characters that maybe they'll do something cool with. I don't know. Uh, but where I miss the narrative progression and the narrative reveals and getting to know characters, this gameplay structure that you're talking about where they constantly introduce new stuff and new systems. Uh, it's part of what I liked about the first game. Uh, I'm feeling that very much here. Um, and so let's talk about one of the biggest changes, which comes relatively late in the game. I don't know about late, but many hours into the game. Uh, scales kind of completely change combat, uh, the economy, uh, and even traversal. Uh, these three fundamental parts of the game become completely different once they introduce these giant mechs. Let me ask you this, Matt. Is it a good idea to wait until this late in the game to change it that dramatically? Oh, that's a, that's, that's a, 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 that's a toughie. I, I, it feels like the right thing to do, but I don't know that I'm far enough past the point at which I got the skill. I mean, okay, so, so let me say this. You, you, you have a sense... I, I think it's implied. It's you know it's sort of implicit that at some point you're gonna you know they have these things sit around. Other people are using them. You're watching them them stomp around. Oh, you they have, tease you about it too. They're like, oh, too bad you're not good enough to have one of these. <laughs> right. Yeah, they definitely tease you. Right, right. And you have like Lynn. I think it's Lynn at one point, point goes, oh, look at how cool they move. They're yeah. so awesome. Um, <laughs> and, and they they are. I have to say, once you once you get them, but but you know you you get there's this big long buildup, and then you get them. And you can, you know, you can jump like ten times as high, and you can, tr you're a transformer now. You can turn into a car, and you're zipping along at super speeds, and you can go to places you haven't been. And you're like, I'm going to go now. I, I'm going to go over to this other place, and I'm going to get those blue diamonds that I need to get to, to fulfill this quest. The, the quote, uh, these crush something rothers that I had a mission to get that I could not get because they were up on an out of the way place. I'm like, finally, mm -hmm. after after only forty hours, I can check this quest off that's been sitting here, you know, teasing me. Um, so I'm still a little bit. I've been playing with it for for, for 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 a bit now, but I'm still a little bit in the honeymoon phase of scales. So it feels 
yeah, I guess I would say to short answer, um, it doesn't feel too late. And in fact, it feels like a wonderful gift to have this thing change so much. I mean, you know, I don't know how you probably are more into this than I am and can speak more proficiently to all of the mechanics of what, what changed with scales. But like one of the things I loved right away was, was that there's the, these, um, like, like one of the things that I can do with my scale right away that I couldn't do with my character before is I can, I can sort of, I can't think of what it's called now. You put sort of like a force field down on the enemy and you hold, you have to hold the butt down yeah. and you hold them down for like 10. It's like grip or grip or grab or yeah, yeah. There's some name grapple. I think it might be grip, but yeah, there's a, there's a word for it that they use. Yeah. Yeah. And it's right away. I was just like, Whoa, you know, this is, this is, this is so different from what I'm, you know, these other things I've been doing. And I, I think, you know, that's, I guess my argument here is hinging a little bit on novelty, which isn't in and of itself necessarily a justification, but, but I, that's where it is for me right now, I guess. Um, I'm loving that it's so different from what I've been doing, uh, so far feels that way. So I was kind of trying to mislead you just because I hugely approve of this design decision, <laughs> even though I, I can't imagine like any game developer who's really trying to sell his game and who's going to put a big old mech on the front of the game is going to want... Like, I, did you play Fallout 4? Like, I, I don't I know if I saw any... Okay, I, I so you know in Fallout 4. So they give you the mech, like, or the mech, the power suit, like the very first mission. It's like, here, have a power suit so you can see how cool it is, fight a death claw. We just wanted to let you know this cool thing is in the game. You know, don't be impatient. Here it is right now. And it, it, it uh, ran and it ran out of battery. Mine ran out of battery so fast that it, I ended up just like totally. That was the hardest mission for me because I'm like I ran out, I shot the thing, the battery died, yeah. and then I couldn't do anything with it. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and it's all by the way. All that is a matter of difficulty level, which is another thing I don't miss the least in Xenoblade Chronicles X. No difficulty level. You just play it like it's made. I love that about this game. Yep. Uh, so in this game, you pick it up. There's a there's a a mech, a scale on the cover. You think, oh, cool, I get one of these. Early on, like you said, the characters are telling you how cool they are. I, th- this delayed gratification is something that's not a part of game design enough. Uh, because it's a huge incentive to get through a game and know that waiting for me in the future isn't a plus one sword, and after that it's a plus two sword, and then a plus three sword, and then a plus four sword. That's the, the structure for a lot of games. Um, certainly a, a lot of Western RPGs. You know, Diablo works that way, and it's hugely effective. Uh, but but what, what Xenoblade Chronicles does is it's not, here's a plus one, plus two, plus three sword. It's like, here's a sword. Here's a machine gun. Here is a B-52. Here is a space cruiser. Like, it keeps upping the ante with completely different modes and outlooks. Uh, and so I love that... I knew the scales were in there and that I was going to really have to work for them. It made them special to get them, and they were already going to change the gameplay enough and feel special. Um, and I just feel it's something that too few game designers do because they know that gamers are impatient and they're terrified that a gamer is going to stop playing the game they made and go play a different game. Um, so I, I love that, that that decision is made about scales. Yeah. Do you feel Do you feel like at this point, probably I'm guessing maybe a, again a little further into the scale game? Do you feel like a lot of games will come along and give you more power? And and and, and it's mm-hmm. what it is though is it's a it's a different interface. Maybe you know maybe it even you know it even looks like you're looking through something different, like the power suits in Fallout Four. But it's it's essentially just an extension of <clears throat> excuse me the existing 
systems, um, scales to me so far feel like like um, I mean not so radically different that they have no relationship. I mean you still have the the the, the sort of the the what do they call them the talent arts or the arts options along the bottom, but now you know they're tied to weapons um, in a different yep. way. How do you feel about about that differentiation between what was what you do on the ground in the ground game versus what you do in the skill game combat wise? It kind of it has just the right amount of familiarity where it doesn't feel like you're playing a new game, um, but it is changing up the rules. I mean, you're you're familiar with this idea of picking the different arts off the panel and firing it off and being careful about where you're standing. Uh, now, though, it's the same thing, but like you said, you slot those arts according to different rules. Uh, it's not quite because you've unlocked them. It's whatever's associated with the piece of gear you've equipped. Uh, the arts don't cost... Um, tension points, like some of them actually when you're just fighting on foot don't either, but instead the arts cost fuel and that's a whole new uh, resource in the game, is once you get the scales, you're pulling from a different resource um, it also, Matt, introduces entirely new stakes as far as a death penalty uh, you've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles X for you know 40-50 hours and you die and no big deal, it just sets you back a little bit in the geography Really worst-case scenario, if you're optimizing, you lose your tension points. You get reset to zero, whatever. You can rebuild those. Uh, the, the death penalty for scales is huge. Uh, like, your, your scale, and, and I find this also very brave for a developer to do, when you buy a scale, and they're not cheap, it comes with three lives. So you get it killed. If you don't eject at just the right moment, it blows up. You're going to have to use one of its lives, and they, they call it insurance, cutely enough. Uh, <laughs> once you lose those insurances, it costs, at least for the ones I've got, several hundred thousand space bucks uh, to replace it. Um, so when you get in that scale, it's familiar enough combat, but it's also you're, you're, you're way more powerful. It's a slightly different form of combat, but the stakes are higher. You're actually putting something on the line. You're risking uh, these resources that, you've been, that you're building up. Uh, so, yes, it's more powerful, but like I said, the stakes are higher. Uh, and you don't have to bring them, by the way. Like, I still play plenty. In, in, in Fallout, once I got the power armor... Uh, most combat, I was just doing it in the power armor, especially late in the game when you've got enough batteries to run the power armor as long as you want. You can just park in that and do fights, whatever. Uh, I, I feel like there's still a, a viable ground game in Xenoblade Chronicles X long after you get the scales. Mm. Uh, well, and I, it, it, speaking about, Tom, about the, uh, about the money, you mentioned the money there. I, I thought that was an interesting design choice, that it, it's almost as if they, they uh, lull you into a false sense of of uh, uh, yeah. wealth, <laughs> you're running yeah, around yeah. with all this money, going. When am I going to spend this? I, I, yeah. I kept going to the stations to try and upgrade my gear, and and and, and I, I actually I should comment really quick. I liked that that when you even at the in the ground game, I love that the gear is not this sort of linear um, progression. As you know, yes. you 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 really have to look at the stats and go. There's a big trade-off here. This this thing has a higher attack value, but I'm going to drop in all of these other areas if I equip this thing versus that thing. Um, but but you know, and we, we maybe we could talk about that. But I, I wanted to talk really quickly about the about that false sense of wealth. You got all this money, and then all of a sudden you get scales. Because you kind of think like, man, I'm doing really well. I don't need to buy anything. I guess they put money in and didn't really have a money sink. Whatever. I'll just let my bank balance build up. Yep. And yeah, you get to the scales, and suddenly, oh, that's not money. 
And also, Matt, that's what uh, – not Mirandium, I forget. They have some mineral in there. I that's forget right. The name that's of right. Miranium or something like that. Ah. Yep. Well, that's what that is used for as well, is before you've been getting this and you've just been dumping it into uh, – you can build up corporations, uh, which, by the way, I like that. When you, when you level a corporation up, it doesn't necessarily make the gear better. It, makes the, it boots the gear up a level of rarity. And rarity is just a matter of how many of those random affixes a piece of gear has as a bonus. Um, Like, for instance, a blue gear, I think, has no bonuses. A green gear has one, a yellow gear has two, something like that. Uh, So when you boot up the level of a corporation, it's giving you the same gear, but its it's rarity is boosted, so it has more random bonuses. I really like that. Uh, But until you get the scales, that's really the only use for this mineral stuff, is you just fill up your allotment... You go back to town, you dump it into one of the corporations, you wait for your allotment to fill up again. Uh, now, with the scales, it's got a completely different uh, value and use, uh, which I love. Tom, would this... Uh, oh, let... Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Well, let's talk about then the, the combat, because I love that you mentioned that about the weapons, is that you can't just pick, hey, I just unlocked this, obviously it's better, I'm going to equip it. It's nowhere near that simple. Uh, and the same, by the way, with classes... Uh, Basically, the character building and the gear. Um, can I ask? Before, can I can I ask a sure. really quick on the scale point before we leave that? I, can I ask you one thing? And I, w- I want to know if you know way more about this genre than I do. And I'm curious if you think this is a relatable comparison. For some reason, I, I always think a little bit about Sid Meier's Beyond Earth when I think about the whole idea of games that start out maybe interesting and then have that challenge, that late-game challenge, that mid-game challenge, where um, you're doing the same thing and you're just clicking the, the turn button, the turn button, the turn button. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is that, do you think, is that an appropriate um, analogy to, to think about that that's part of the challenge here that, that Takahashi and his team are, are trying to solve that so many other games, I mean, even other JRPGs don't, don't try and grapple with, which is how to keep a game that could go on for you know thirty, forty, fifty, hundred hours in- interesting, um, you know, this late along, this far along, or is I, that I've totally been... crazy? <laughs> no, because it actually makes me think, and it didn't even occur to me before. Uh, I've been playing Just Cause Three recently, mm-hmm. uh, which is an open world game with a lot of explosions and guns and uh, just very over the top action. Um, it gets super repetitive because what you're doing is you're, you're conquering little bases. It's kind of like an Ubisoft game where you capture this node and it, it, it secures that territory. And then you capture another node, it secures that territory. Each node that you capture pretty much involves just going to a town and blowing up a checklist of things. Uh, and at first you're like, wow, this is awesome. I'm going to conquer this whole big archipelago by just blowing stuff up in each city. Ten cities later... You're like, oh, God, I'm looking for another billboard, or, oh, where's that last fuel tank? It gets really repetitive and tedious. Like, no matter how exciting it is those first few times, if that's all the game has to offer, I think it's going to run out of steam. Uh, You constantly have to mix it up, any good game, uh, especially if you're going to be, like you mentioned, Matt, one of these, like, 40, 50, 60-hour games. Uh, Yep. Seems to be an issue with, 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 with I don't want to, again, generalize here, but with a lot of Ubisoft a lot of Ubisoft open world games where you, you know, some of the Assassin's Creeds and, and, and various others. I, w- I would say any game, Matt, like any game, that, that because there's this, ter- this this fear that, hey, whatever cool stuff we have, we have to give it to the player right off the bat. 
uh, we have to show them, we have to lay our cards on the table and then maybe amp up the power, you know, work a power curve up. But as far as introducing new mechanics, if we don't give it to the player in the first hour, we might not get his attention. That, 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 uh, is, that is such a great point because, yeah, if you, I guess, I guess we, we could look at it this way. How many people would you bet are going to play, pick up this game and play it and yeah. never see the scales? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it takes a lot of, and I would call it this, it takes a lot of courage for Monolith Soft to build a game this way, I think. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. You were, we were shifting into combat. No, let, let's then get into the, the regular combat. Uh, uh, let me ask you this, and again, I'm just putting this in an intentionally provocative way. <laughs> Isn't the combat, Matt Peckham, in, Zine, in XCX... Isn't it too much like a massively multiplayer online game? I mean, aren't I just playing some analog to World of Warcraft where I'm clicking on skills and watching cooldown timers? <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose to a certain extent. <laughs> you know, you have, you have, you know, the, you know, the thing that I kept thinking about, and then I'm, I can totally hear somebody saying, "Well, yeah," because it's they were trying to go for sort of the MMO-ish thing too. Is Final Fantasy twelve was was one of the first single-player um, open-world JRPGs that, that kind of does this thing where you go out and you uh, target an enemy and you click a button and then your character just kind of wails away and then, you know, you, you, you summon other abilities and, and you try and sort of tactically uh, gauge what it is you should be doing. But, I, you know, I guess I don't know of any MMO that has this level of intricacy um, and so many really cool, like the color-coded soul voices system and such, so many really cool, intuitive things. Once, once, you, once you get past, once you get over the hump of figuring out how to read the things that aren't explained, that aren't color-coded, that aren't intuitive, once you get those things under your belt, it really, it, for me anyway, it felt like it really clicked. I felt really like, I, I want to be careful, I don't want to, I don't want to say something that I don't know is true. But I, I, I worry sometimes in, in, in some games that, you know, am I, if I just go along and I don't pay any attention to the system, um, can, I, can I just plow my way through the game versus if I really, if I really do pay attention? Um, uh, and so I haven't played it extremely st- stupidly, I guess, for lack of a better way to put that. I've, I've been trying all along. But it does feel like, you know, I mean, like if you, the difference between pulling off a soul voice related combo with uh, the right weapon, the right art, everything, you know, the art leveled up to the, to the right level with uh, hit scaling, you know, and all these kinds of things is so dramatic. You know, the amount of damage, you know, it's the difference between, you know, five hits of 200 or 300 points and five hits of 2,000 and 3,000 points in some right. cases. And I think all of those things interrelating I don't know that I that I can think of a of an MMO that has that much stuff going on simultaneously. So, well, partly partly too, an MMO I guess has to scale the content like like it has to basically match your level with whatever you're fighting. Like it feels like in an MMO, it's not it's only going to give you so much wiggle room to optimize. Otherwise, you would break the gameplay progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that's not really the case here because it's not structured like the typical MMO. You know, we can be tenth level and fighting in the same place that we are when we're 50th level, the game is letting us do that. Uh, so it, it's letting us optimize as much as we want. Or conversely, Matt, I think you can get a long way through this. I wouldn't say all the way through, but I think you could coast for a while without 
necessarily learning the systems or optimizing or tweaking in, in Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Uh, mm, okay. I'm not sure how far you'd want to push that because I, I imagine you would be spinning your wheels a lot and having to like fight a lot of having to grind a lot more. I think uh, if you if you don't optimize, you're going to have to grind more. And if you do learn the systems, if you do learn how they work, I think you'll work your way up that power curve a, a little bit more quickly. Uh, and, and progress a little faster. Would you say, would you agree that, that the, the place where you really can't sort of slap your way through would be when you're fighting the tyrants? Or, or some of the tyrants, anyway? What, 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 you, what are well, your experience of those things? Well, here's the thing. is I, I, I get a little confused. Like, sometimes, if I'm level just 20, say, for instance, I know I can easily beat something that's, like, level 23. Uh so then I'll get a little cocky and I'll think, okay, I'm going to fight something that's like level 30, even <laughs> though I'm level 20. Uh, and and hey, it, I, I pull it off. You know, it's difficult. It's touch and go. Maybe somebody goes down and I have to save up the tension points to res him. Uh, but I actually beat a level 30 and it's like very gratifying. So I think, oh, I'm level 20. I'm going to start just fighting level 30 stuff. The very next battle, I lose just flat. Like it's like I never stood a chance. Um so I'm not entirely clear when I am and I'm not supposed to be fighting something, and I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, I think because I like. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say. What? Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just I, I feel like it's not something that I read. It doesn't have that kind of rote certainty that you get in an MMO. Oh, that's a that's an interesting observation. I like that. Yeah, it it it. I guess I guess in a general sense, what I found is that when I'm fighting tyrants or or some of the tyrants, some of the tyrants we should say are are, are they look oftentimes like um, they're like an iteration of an of, of another indigenous life form, but with a lot of extra you know buffs or ability to debuff you or they you know they're, they're what you would call like elites in an MMO or in Diablo there you or go. something. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I I found that 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 they are much more um i'm much more likely to have to think about targeting body parts and neutralizing yeah. the body part you know I, I i kind of have that same experience with you where it's like a two or three levels above in general um i'm i'm usually able to take out i don't know yeah it's a it's a really it's an interesting point though because there have been battles that are not were not tyrant battles where i you know same creature i just fought before and 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 i'll i'll die i wonder if that's just because i'm not uh I guess I I wonder if that that's just because I'm not availing myself of all of the uh you know the things that that are happening or my I here's a question for you Tom um have you you, you notice more than the average bear <laughs> to to understate the the case when you're playing a game what do you think about the uh your teammate AI cuz I frankly have been so focused on myself and trying to compliment my teammates but how do mm-hmm. they seem to do to you just in in and of themselves when they're fighting, I, I've seen some people. Uh, some, uh, like a friend of mine has complained about that, and I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know what his expectations are, so I, I sort of took the complaint with a grain of salt because I really haven't had any issues. Like they do their stuff. Um, I'm usually too busy. Y- you call the combat watchful juggling, which I love that description because. It's not just juggling, because you do that by habit. It's watchful juggling. You know, you've got all these balls in the air, but you have to pay attention to them. It's not like you're just doing the same sequence over and over, like in a dull MMO. Um, So I, during the watchful juggling, don't get to usually pay that much attention to 
my party members. I usually pay attention to them in those cases when I get downed and none of them has enough tension points to res me. So I'm letting that 30-second timer go down on the off chance that maybe they'll kill the monster for me. Uh, so those are kind of the only times I'm really watching them. Uh, and I don't see them doing things like wrong, and I'm happy to see them using the arts that I give them. Because that's one of the things, too, is that although they're NPCs, you can play as them if you want. You can choose them as your party leader and, and play that character. Uh, you can freely kit out not only their equipment, of course, but what arts. Those are like skills or combat moves. You can decide what arts they get. So if you want to make sure, for instance, that Elma only uses her ranged weapon, just take out her arts that use melee weapons. Um, so I, I've done, I think, a little more than usual uh, jiggering and, and tuning for some of these characters, uh, and maybe that accounts for why I kind of feel like they're they're playing well. Is uh, I took the time to sort of try to make give them character builds. Um, so I've been very pleased with the AI. Like it's it's never done. You know, playing Fallout Four, the stupid dog was constantly getting in my way when I'm trying to shoot at something, and I'm thinking, okay, the stupid AI is just getting in my way. This is annoying. Uh, nothing like that has happened in, in Xenoblade Chronicles X. Hey, have you noticed any weird things? Like, has it I, has it run smoothly for you? I, I have not. I have, and in fact, I I have I've really appreciated um, <clears throat> the way I once once you kind of get a feel for the Soul Voice system, which is one of my one of my favorite things about the new the new combat uh, setup. You know, the morale system, the, the the QTE events where you have to tap a button um, <laughs> randomly, and then and then uh, uh, the color coding. So, so there are these kind of intuitive things that, that uh, you can do to maximize if you're paying attention. And I mean, half the time, even when I'm paying attention, there have been a couple of times where I'm playing and I reach up to scratch my nose and there's a QTE. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, exactly. Dang it, dang it. Uh, but uh, I, I admit, the, I confess, when I first saw Soul Voices, my eyes kind of initially glazed over. I'm like, oh my God, this on top of everything else. It looked like, yeah. I think I described it in, the, in my review as like this relational database of all of these things you have to start thinking about um, so early on. But, but then again, you don't really have to, right? You're, you, right? You can ease into it. It isn't necessary. And by the time you are ready to, to, to go there, which is about the point that I, you know, later on, 20, 20, 30 hours in, that I really started to pay attention to, to soul voices, I was so pleased at the uh, definitive mathematical differences. I mean, they're, they're, yep. they're, they're so significant if you... You know, and then you can probably talk more, Tom, about uh, you know about the the, the weapons and uh, you know the bonuses and the, you know things like hit scaling and stuff like that. I mean, are you you pretty much a fan of of how they laid out all of the uh, statistics? Uh, there have been, uh, like for instance, there's some things. For the most part, yes, I'm happy with how how few numbers there are. First of all, uh, and how how clear they are, like. Uh, like you don't have like a strength and a dexterity and then sub skills and then tertiary skills and uh it it's pretty elegant for the most part the only thing i have a problem with is you know what what's the advantage of a defense value versus i think there's a stat for evasion like should i focus on evasion or defense value if i have a piece of equipment that gives me plus 5 to evasion is that better or worse than a piece of equipment that gives me plus 10 to a defense value? Mm. Like, I know, of course, how to compare the, merative, the, the, the comparative merits of a particular stat, but I'm not entirely sure which stats are more important than others. Uh, 
But for the most part, yeah, I'm real happy with, as a strategy gamer, as a guy who loves, like, tinkering with character builds, um, I'm real happy with how much access it gives me. Uh, there are a few, like, quality-of-life interface issues that maybe I wish were a little better. Um, but for the most part, I, as, I really feel like the combat is open to me tweaking it, uh, to me sort of finessing that watchful juggling, as you put it. Let, let me ask you this. Here's something, Matt, that I didn't... Uh, so I just got back from being away for a week. Um, I'd been playing tons of Xenoblade Chronicles X right up until I left. And I was surprised, because I was happy to leave and not have any games and just read books and hang out with my family for a week. Uh, I was surprised at how much I was thinking about Xenoblade Chronicles X while I was gone, because I was pretty sure that I'd glutted myself on it, and I was going to be happy to put it down. Uh, so I just got back. Uh, I've sort of been digging back into it. It's coming back to me pretty quickly, by the way. It's Being away for a week isn't that big a deal. But here's something, Matt, that I just found out earlier today, mm. and I'm curious if you have found this. Uh, and it's part, by the way, of how open the combat system is and how, how you can tweak it pretty much as much as you want to. Um, as you probably know, there are... Is it six types of damage? There's like physical and fire. I think they call it thermal. Uh, and, and ice. I think it's called chill. Radiation, gravity, ether. Uh, but anyway, there's, there's the, those, those types of damage. Um, when you equip armor, you get either a plus or a bonus or maybe zero in your resistance to a particular type of damage. So once you've got your gear, it shows you a little window, and you can kind of see what damage you're vulnerable to and what damage you have resistance to. Mm. Uh, then, when you fight a monster, how are you supposed to know what damage is good against what monster? Do you, do you Because the game, and I didn't know this until today, 50 plus hours into the game... It does tell you, but I didn't know where. Do you know about this? Oh, Lord, no, I did not. Please tell me this is... I, I want to know. No, I did not know this. So I love this, because, it, it, again, it was something that... You know, part of me should be upset it's not in the manual, <laughs> uh, but part of me was just so elated at discovering it. So there's a bestiary... Bestiary, how do you say that word? Bestiary. Uh, it's basically an encyclopedia of monsters that you found. Um, and you can look at it, and you can imagine it might be valuable, because it tells you things like what time of day the monster is out. So maybe if you need to... Uh, this seems like super finicky, but if ever you needed to harvest like a particular uh, monster drop, like a, a crafting material from a specific monster, um, you might want to know when it's in a certain area. So you would look in the bestiary. Uh, it also shows you, as you fight more of the monster, it gives you a list of what crafting materials drop out of the monster. And you think, okay, I've got this, and it gives you a little 3D view of the monster. You can turn it around and look at it. Um, and you think, okay, that's all that I've got from it. Maybe useful, maybe not. It's there if I ever need it. I was looking through it today, and I noticed at the bottom of the screen, it had a, an option, I think it just says toggle, if you press the A button in the bestiary. When you press the A button, it shows you, assuming you fought a few copies of the monster, it shows you its resistances to stuff. Uh. Uh, I'm seeing. I'm seeing this right now. I have the the gamepad. This is the the beauty of the Wii U. I can be sitting here talking to you and hold, yeah. looking at the game. And so, there it is. That is. You're identifying another. You mentioned the quality of life things. Yeah, there are a lot of these, aren't there, in the game where there's there's a little sub menus that if you don't hit the button to to go dig deeper. And I hadn't oh, done that, that here. Literal. 
Yeah, that there's a literal like like in in the gear. I think you press X for the sub menu, and that's where the augments and the yep. fashion stuff is. Yep. It took me forever to realize that was there. Yep. Yeah. So so let me save you some quality of let me give you a little quality of life bonus, Matt, <laughs> and save you from having to dig around in the bestiary too much. Uh, one of the things I realized uh, is that I think here is where this weird. Uh, the Xenoblade games are so awesome with having this kind of cool ecology. Like, here's these types of monsters. Um, they live here, and they do this thing. And they, they give them weird names, like pigs in Xenoblade Chronicles X are called sewage. Uh, alligators are called diluses. Like, they give them a weird new name. But you can kind of see, like, what they are. Uh, and things will, like, drink water, and they're big, quiet herbivores, and they're more aggressive carnivores. Uh, there's a classification system in the game. And you'll most likely run into it when you're looking at weapon bonuses. You'll see a weapon that says something like, uh, bonus to stagger humanoids. We all know what a humanoid is. It's something that's like an orc or a human being or whatever. And there's a whole class of them uh, called prones in Xenoblade Chronicles X. Uh, and you'll talk about an insectoid. You know what that is. It's like a bug-like thing. Uh, so there are these classifications of creatures. And for the most part, with a few exceptions the vulnerabilities and resistances are common amongst all creatures in that class. So, by looking through the bestiary a little bit, one of the things I've found out, uh, insectoids, they have a little bit of physical protection and some fire protection. They're they're pretty tough resistance-wise. Whereas uh, mechanoids, like robot things, uh, they're super vulnerable to, uh, I think it's, Radiation? Uh, I'd have to, I don't remember exactly what the symbols are. Um, but normal creatures, and for some reason they're called theroids, these are things like mammals and reptiles and birds, uh, they're vulnerable to, to fire. Um, Piscanoids, which are fish, they're vulnerable to electricity. So basically once you look at one creature in a category, for the most part all of those other creatures are going to have that kind of vulnerability or, or resistance. Um, and it's just part of the game's ecology, which I didn't realize until today. I just stumbled across I, it. I know. didn't. I did not until right this very minute. And and it's it's another. It's a to me. It's another interesting. I mean, I'll have to go to fiddle with it a little bit now because I haven't really thought about f- fighting the enemies on the basis of that. It's, mm-hmm. it's an ob- now that I look at it, I go, oh, you know, forehead smack. Because in in other games, it's a it's a common thing. It's a trope. You know. Fire versus water, electricity versus uh, whatever I can't remember, but you know those those kinds of things. And to to think that here it's all laid out, enemies by category. I see it right here. Yeah, that's uh, it. It feels like the game that that would be one of for me one of its downsides. That it feels like there is and upsides simultaneously. When you find it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. Right. But if you don't find it, you know, and I might not have found it. I mean, I'm going to keep playing. But I mean, I could conceivably see myself completely polishing off the entire thing. And never having found that. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. Maybe I would have had to because I don't know what's going to happen at the very, very end. But. I, I think, yeah. I mean, may, I don't. Yeah, maybe a tooltip finally comes along or something. But um, I, it's also like I don't think you necessarily need to use that stuff. But there have been times, uh, and as a matter of fact, playing today, I'm at level I think 35. Like that's uh, where my characters are basically at right now. Um, there was a mission where you have to go back into a cave. And between me and the back of the cave are some level, like, 43 to 45 level, uh, they're obviously insectoids. I forget, they're maybe called scorpios, whatever you call spiders in this game. Uh, but obvious insectoids. Um, I, I need to get back in there. 
and I can either grind up a few levels or I can take advantage of the fact that I know where to look to see what they're vulnerable to, and I can sort of jigger my builds to, to specifically focus on that kind of damage. Um, mm-hmm. So, and that's something that an MMO doesn't want to let you do, because if you're not high enough level to go back there, they don't want you to go back there. But in Xenoblade Chronicles X, if I really want to sort of tweak my build, and that's another thing, too, the way you can change classes at any time, um, I, I can do that to try to get past this, this difficult area. Can I? Uh, let me ask you about the class system, because in a, in a normal game, you're either a fighter or a warrior or a, a ranged DPS guy. You pick your class, that's how you play. How do you feel about this, hey, do whatever you want approach in uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X? I... I love what I have played of it so far. I haven't played out all of the classes, although I, I love that the game also includes in the... I think it was the skill test. I think it, Isn't it the skill test where you have it forces you to equip multiple different weapons, like a knife and a sword, and in order to do that, you have to change your class because only yep. that particular class can wield that particular weapon. I love, I should just comment on the side here, I love that there are so so much of the mission structure in the game is designed to sort of push you out of your, not, not to push you forever out of your comfort zone, but to, to keep you from getting stuck in, a, okay, I'm going to play a fight, you know, like in a Western RPG, a fighter or a druid or a bard or whatever, the equivalent of that in, in this game, and not try the other things. And uh, <clears throat> and so, so in, in the class system... Um, I love that it has um, that it resets you. You know, you go along for ten levels and then it drops yeah. back, and you have to start yeah, you're over. Yeah, suddenly back to being first level again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you're relearning, and you have to rethink everything, and, and you know the, the talent arts change. And uh, so they, 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 I think you, you can keep them as you move further. You can keep some of them as you move further along, right? Some of them come with you. It's a little it's a little unclear, but uh, it took me a bit to figure out. So any given class has two weapons it can use. Any art in the game is affiliated with a specific weapon. If I ever unlock the art for a weapon, in any class I'm playing, if I'm using that weapon, that art remains unlocked. So, for instance, and I don't know the class names, if I'm like the, let's call him shooty guy, and I have the assault rifle and the knife, and I unlock a whole bunch of arts for the assault rifle, if I then transition over to like shooty guy with a photon sword, and I have the assault rifle and the photon sword, all of those arts I unlocked in the previous level for the assault rifle remain unlocked in this new class with an assault rifle. Um, so it wasn't always clear to me, why can I use some of these arts when I level up, and why can I not use other ones? Uh, any art is strictly a matter of what weapon do you have equipped. Ah, okay, I see. I see. Well, the... The other aspect of, of classes that I that I like, um, and it's really more just a, 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 an extra layer of granularity. Along with uh, on the web on the, on the weapon side, you have like augments, and you have I can't remember what they're called, but you can go in and you can spend you can take the you can take the collectibles that you've picked up and you can use them to add additional upgrades, like permanent upgrades to the weapons um, yep. on top of the augments. So this is just another layer, but I love that there are skills that underlie uh, the arts, and you can level those up separately. Yeah, from the yeah. arts. So I mean, there's just so many variables. <laughs> I mean, I suppose there's a point at which you could do too much of this stuff, right? Where you could have so many different systems going on that it would become um, tedious. Uh, you know, the, the micromanagement would would become tedious. Uh, I don't feel that that's the case with Xenoblade Chronicles X. Do you feel 
that they've struck the right balance for you of um, once you once you're able to figure out what what's going on is it too much too little right just right? Well, they do. I don't know if you've used this. I was reluctant to at first. Like there, there's a point where. I'm just sort of in a groove, and I don't really feel like crunching numbers. Uh, so they give you some things, like you can just go into a character screen, go to that, and, and tell it, equip best, uh, like equip strongest gear. Uh, so a lot of times when I'm playing, I'll rack up, you know, 20, 30 different pieces of armor that I've picked up, and I don't want to look through that stuff. But, you know, I'm having difficult battles, so I'll just tell somebody, equip strongest gear. Uh, and I know it's not finessing things the way I might want to, uh, but it's just a little shorthand way to just sort of keep up with stuff until I feel like numbers crunching. Um, hmm. And the thing is, like that, I don't. I wouldn't describe it as tedious, but it's certainly intricate. And the character building, because it has you know arts, skills, you can use your BPs to level those up, uh, augments, and like you mentioned, the upgrading of the weapons. Uh, there's there's a lot in here for when you do feel like numbers crunching uh, that if you're not into that kind of gameplay, uh, I don't think you're going you're gonna to be into Xenoblade Chronicles X. Like, I think it's kind of mandatory that you care about yeah. numbers and improvements and, and, and yep. uh, combinatorial tactics. Like, okay, I'm going for a thermal build. Uh, like, in the same way, I wouldn't recommend playing a driving game if you don't care about shaving time off of a lap. You know, that's something in racing games. Some people are like, this is tedious. Why would I do that? Why would I drive around the same track just to shave two seconds off of my time? If you're not into racing games, you don't understand that. Uh, yep. So I do kind of feel like that, that uh, not obsession, but that, that preoccupation with detail and optimization, I kind of feel like that's mandatory here. It, it's kind of, it's even reflected in, in the, 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 the way the game pushes different party members at you through the different Infinity Missions the time right. you're up to whatever 30 or 40 hours you've maybe gone on all of these missions with you've got the two that are always required, generally speaking Elma and Lynn but you brought along this fourth this fourth wheel <laughs> and it's it's maybe you know a dozen different fourth wheels and each time you get in the fourth wheel you have to go in the game doesn't there is no mass effect hit a button auto level everything up you've got to go through right. allocate everything <laughs> and it takes well it's really fun like you get that that fourth guy who's like, oh, I haven't played with this guy before, whatever. And you go and you look, and he's got like 400 BP points to put in the <laughs> yeah. arts. And you're like, what? <laughs> okay, I guess I have to figure out how to spend these. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So that's, yeah. So that's I guess you're like being, you're, you're probably uh, running with uh, Elma. Is that her name? Elma and Lynn for the most part. Are you doing that? And then you just have the extra fourth slot for whomever? I do, yeah. I've been kind of taking them on the basis that, you know, I, I, what I've been doing, the way I've been playing is, you know, I, I hit the first couple chapters, then I started flying through the missions, then I got to a point where I, 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 was, I, I was seeing these, the affinity missions pop up and I had been skipping them and I thought I better go back and do those. So I started doing the affinity missions and then I, I kind of got into a cycle where, you know, doing the affinity missions. Uh, what I love about the affinity missions and I wanted maybe we could talk quickly about affinity because it's different here. I don't know that I like the differences, all of the differences, but the affinity missions um, kind of help uh, help guide you. You're not like you know, it's not likely you're going to take on one that you're not able to do because they kind of tell you they have all the prereqs, they have a, a, a record, you know, the level. What is it? The 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 is it the maximum level? No, the minimum level. Um, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. But what I you know about the affinity system itself. The thing that I I think that I like less 
and you'll have to help me here because it's been so long since I've played Xenoblade Chronicles that I, I hope I don't get this wrong, but in the original Xenoblade Chronicles, the affinity system, I, I loved it because you the incentive there was that as you earned the heart, you know, the, built the relationships up, it actually increased the effectiveness of your party members in combat with you. And I don't believe that's the case here. And, and I hope I hope I don't have that wrong, but I, I think affinity in this game is is just a matter of um, who's going to go on a mission with you and and what you're going to be able to unlock at what point in the game. As far as I can tell, Matt, the only thing you get from Affinity, and I was actually going to ask you this, uh, is you get, for the named characters, you get two skills, or arts, that you wouldn't otherwise get. And you can see that on their character screen. It says something oh, right. like, right. I forget what they're called, like Art 1 and Art 2. They have a name. Uh, and the only thing you get by building up Affinity with that character and you do, that, you do that by doing affinity missions, by answering their soul voice calls, um, by one of the two silly, pointless dialogue choices. <laughs> Sometimes you'll, you'll inadvertently pick one that a party member likes, and they'll get a little heart, showing that there's more affinity. But I think, Matt, the only thing you get from affinity is unlocking these arts. There's near as I can tell, I, I might never use. Um, mm, okay. And I know that's the only way you can get those arts, but... If you don't care about what the art is, I, you don't care. Like, it basically reduces any character's gameplay value, as far as the affinity system, to whether or not you want to learn one of the arts they have to teach. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, see, and I, I, I mean, do you, don't you think it wouldn't, that, that would have been something that would have worked well to carry over from the, the last game, which was that it, it would improve their, uh, well, maybe, maybe there wouldn't have been a way to do that since the Soul Boy system kind of maybe replaces that. You know what I mean? Well, Matt, what this what this raises for me, Matt, is it's it's just one fewer tool the designer could have used to make me care about the characters. I mean, story wise, I'm not really caring about them. Uh, I mean, I guess they have their kind of that, like Lynn is a tank and Elma, I guess is she DPS. I don't know, but they they have that sort of the sort of party roles that they fill. But uh, if the affinity had had a more robust gameplay effect, or if it had found its way into more of the systems, uh, I might have cared more about the characters. Well, and it, it feeds um, back to your point, your, your very good point, I think, about the story, that without the story there also to brace everything, to connect thing, uh, everything, yeah. it, does, it does kind of devalue that whole aspect of, and it does make you wonder why, it, yeah, why, why even bring it in. Because, I mean, you go out to the affinity chart now, you know, it's a similar interface, yeah. and, and it's just like looking at a big plate of spaghetti. I mean, I don't know what to make of it. I, I've spent very little time in there, um, uh, you know, just haven't found much benefit to it. So, Well, here's my question to you. Do you know if the, like, affinity with the named characters to unlock a skill, that's one thing. You also create this, you mentioned it's like spaghetti. It's just this crazy, tangled latticework of everybody's relationship to everybody else. And it's kind of entertaining in that you can pick a character... You can see the other characters to whom he or she was, is related, and each line means a certain kind of relationship. Like, is this person's boss, or resents this person leaving, or oh, yeah. uh, is in love with this person's sister. Like, each little line is some kind of relationship. Um, but I don't... Do those... Is there any gameplay value in those? Because those are also things you unlock by going around and, and doing little quests and missions. Uh do you earn anything from all that stuff? I, I, I may be wrong, so 
brackets around here that I may be completely wrong and missing something like the thing that you know that you just illuminated here earlier. Um, uh, uh, but my understanding, and I've, I've Googled for it, I've, I've been out to the Reddit forums. Um, I have the strategy guide sitting right here, which. Right. Right. You know, I mean, I can go to the affinity section. I can tell you right now, it's 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 there. There is no indicator that there is anything beyond what uh, you know, beyond the the, the arts, and uh, and I think this isn't really. I don't know if it's really a benefit so much as it's just a, a progressive thing that that you have to have. Don't you have to have a certain affinity with? Am I remembering this correctly? In order to even do a, go on a mission with? with oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, oh oh well, I'm sorry, I cut you off too soon. No, but definitely some missions have an affinity prerequisite for certain characters. Like like some of the story missions are gated. It'll say, hey, you have to do this affinity mission with this character. And I think you might even be, like at times, a couple of steps back from that. Um, so it, it's clear that, hey, you can't do this mission until you're this level of affinity. Uh, and I've seen some places, Matt, like, like do you know what the difference is between affinity and something called a heart to heart do you know what that is boy i'm blanking i'm like that sounds like that sounds like something from the original original it does doesn't it yeah yeah because i've got a couple of places on my map that say uh uh heart to heart two for elma or heart to heart three requires heart to heart two um and the only reason i have the number of the number of hearts that you have to have in the in the relationship i'm not i'm not you might be right well you know what that's I, I thought it was like it, maybe I'm misremembering, but it seemed like it was implying a sequence that you have to do it in. Oh, okay. Uh, and the only reason I haven't picked up that thread is the first one that I found, like requires that you're there a certain time of day, and I just haven't bothered to do the little, you know, rest until this time of day and then go to this place thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a triviality, but I just haven't bothered to do it to pick up the, th- the thread. See, this is um, this is this is you know again c- coming back to this point. This is that aspect of the game that I, I do wish I do think it, it would have benefited the manual. Would have, you know, the, the game would have benefited if they had just been a little bit clearer about some of those things because these are not things like you can go in and you can you can kind of work out some of the math and figure out some of these other other systems, but um, it's this is a little more abstract, right? This is one of those slightly more abstract systems that it would have just a couple of sentences. You know, in the manual would have helped so much. Right. I'm thinking, and I could be wrong, that the townspeople affinity um, is kind of a, not a branching structure, but a, a an unlocking structure for certain missions, maybe. Okay. Like, you don't get certain missions to show up until you've worked out this affinity between these characters. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but that's just my guess based on... You know, there are different kinds of missions. There are some basic, uh, they seem almost randomized. Like, go get three of these doodads, or go kill four of these fellas. Uh, And there are other missions that are like, oh, I'm really in love with this girl, and I can't talk to her. Would you go talk to her for me? Or, oh, I really want to open a cappuccino shop, but I don't have the the resources for the cappuccino maker. Oh, yeah, that whole sequence. That was hilarious. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You have to get, like, 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 uh, radiator coolant, or you have to get, like specific doodads for her. And it wasn't yeah. just a random... I mean, it was a list of stuff you had to get, but there was a little cutscene with it. And it was telling you about this clumsy character who feels she keeps breaking things. Um, so my guess, Matt, is that the affinity is the key to, to unlocking those. I could be wrong, though. 
Well, I do like, I do appreciate, and I always wonder as I'm seeing them, I wonder, where did this come from? Like, is this, was this actually in the mind of Monolith Studio and the team, or is this a translation thing? I do like the, when the affinities pop up, I always chuckle a little because they are, some of them are downright amusing. You know, like, like uh, one guy here, you know, the arrow points, you, the affinity interface, when you see these relationships pop up, you'll be having a conversation, and, mm-hmm. and then uh, over on the side, a little square pops up and it shows their heads. And you'll see like arrows pointing one way from one person, you know, they point to each other in a little bit of text. Yep. And, uh, and some of them are quite amusing. Uh, there's one I'm looking at right now where, where one guy uh, is looking, you know, there's a, there's a girl and she's, she's not saying anything about him, but he's saying, what? She forgot about Earth? Question mark. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how could you forget about Earth? We've only been here for two months, which, by the way, there's another funny little thing they've, they've crash landed and two months later they're running around in scales and uh you know doing all these they built the entire city this entire city of new la so it really does like for a game that's trying to do this hey you you've you've crashed on this planet and you got to scavenge like you feel pretty entrenched that there is like you said it's a whole city like a new la uh and they're You've got your, like, outposts all over the place. Like, you'll go out into a place that's supposedly the remote wilderness, and there's all already people there who've set up little bases where you can rest. Uh, it does feel like for an undiscovered alien world, there's a fair amount of infrastructure there. <laughs> yeah, and there, yeah, and there are already guys. You go down to the residential district, and there are already, like, thugs walking around in street clothes. Right. They're, they're <laughs> harassing the local, you know, the local Blade members, and you have to step in and stuff. And you're like, wow, this is quite, quite an established... <laughs> Yeah. social infrastructure here for two months on, on, a, on a hostile alien planet where everybody's supposed to be barely surviving. So, yeah, some some uh, interesting things going on there. Okay, so I want to give you, Matt, if you're ready for this, before we talk about, the, one of the final things I want to talk about is the online functionality. But before we go to that, Matt Peckham, I'm going to give you a quiz, and I'm going to score you on this. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> Okay, here's the quiz. I'm going to give you seven pairings of, uh, uh, like, collectible items that you can find in the world of Xenoblade Chronicles X. In each of these pairings, one of them is real, one of them is fake. You have to tell me which one actually appears in Xenoblade Chronicles X and which one is fake. Okay, I'm closing the strategy guide, putting it off to the side. It is is No no cheating. Now, here's the thing, Matt Peckham. Of these seven that I'm going to give you, two of them are tricks in that. In one of them, neither exists in the game. In another of them, both exist in the game. So you're going to get seven pairings. Five of them are mutually exclusive. One or the other exists in the game. In one of them, they both exist in the game. In another one of them, neither exists in the game. Let's see if you have done enough scavenging to recognize the names of some of these things. Oh, my word. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Matt Peckham. In Xenoblade Chronicles X, will you find a broken buckle or a faded emblem? Ooh, okay. I confess that neither is ringing a bell, but I am going to go with faded emblem. Ooh, I made that one up. There are broken buckles, and I think... I think like the prone, like the humanoid dudes seem to have a bazillion of them. Uh, Welcome back. All right, okay. so darn it. All right, uh, o for, o for all right, seven. Let's give you, yep, let's give you another one. Uh, Matt Peckham, will you find in Xenoblade Chronicles X succulent meat or 
reviled jelly. Wow, I I have just not I haven't been paying attention. Um, I, <laughs> I know, believe me, I had to look these up. It's not like I know these off the top of my head. I love, I love. You have to, yeah, I love you. Uh, you, you could see, you could, you could design this game, Tom. You've got, you've got great names for <laughs> for items. Uh, let's let's go with. This sounds kind of. It's making me think of like the the Grexes. Let's go with succulent meat. Very good. I invented reviled jelly, but succulent meat is definitely something that you find. Uh, and one of the things you learn, again, it's part of the ecology, uh, I think succulent meat is used to upgrade any bonus that gives you uh, like extra hit points. Like if you get a piece of armor that increases your maximum hit points, you can boost that bonus by basically spending succulent meat. Like you'll find out what materials improve what abilities, which is part of the ecology. All right, Matt, out of seven, you've got one point so far. <laughs> Will you find in Xenoblade Chronicles X appetizing suid tail or tricolored ovis meat? Ooh, I know this one because I think I have I think I've I've spent an inordinate amount of these on weapon upgrades. Unless you've changed a word here and I'm misremembering, I'm 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 gonna go with appetizing suid tail. Oh, that was one of the trick ones where they're both in the oh, game. Okay, you got me. <laughs> uh, so you're right. So appetizing suid tail and suids are like the pigs. Uh, An ovis, I think those are like the sheep's. Those little sheep things uh, that never fight. Okay. So there's definitely it makes no sense, but yeah, ovis meat. There's the tricolored version of it. <laughs> uh, all right, so Matt, I'm afraid you've only for three so far. You've only got one point. Matt Peckham, will you find in Xenoblade Chronicles X a tough hump steak or loathsome blob? Oh boy, Um, loathsome blob. I invented that one. (laughs) Tough hump steak is actually in the game. I am. I'm trying very hard to get as few points as possible here. So, (laughs) all right, we've got two more to try on. Tough hump steak. Amazing. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to look yeah, at Where is that? Which area is I don't that remember now? where that one comes from. I just remember I was taking notes for, uh, oddly enough, uh, item names that sounded like, like porn names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, so I wrote down tough hump steak. Uh, okay. Nicely done. Will you find in Xenoblade Chronicles X uh, harsh parsnips or blast Chard, C H A R D, or harsh parsnips. Blast chard, or harsh parsnips. Boy, they both sound—they both sound like interesting variations of semi-appetizing uh, uh, salads. But I'll go with God. It seems to me that I have actually. What was the second one? Uh, I forgot what order I did them in. Uh, blast chard is one of them, and harsh parsnips is the other one. I'm going to guess both. Is this a trick? Is this a trick? No, no, because I already I did the both for one of them. Like, there's one trick. I'll let you take that back. So one of the tricks was both of them exist. Another one of the tricks is neither of them exist. Oh. I already used up the trick where both of them exist. Okay. So you get so you can't use that guess. Okay, let's go. So you either have to say neither exists or only one of them exists. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, let's go with let's go with shard. You're right. That is a correct one. Yay. Matt Peckham, you got four wrong, two right. Very good. I'm okay, the last one. Actually, you know what? I've blown it because now you know the last one is one where neither exists. 
Ah, I, I inadvertently tricked oh. you into perhaps. Yeah, I way. did it wrong. Okay, but no, here's another one. So here, here we go. The seventh one. Did I even count it right? Well, here we go. Here's the last one, Matt. This one is worth double points. So if you get it, you've won the quiz. Will you find in Xenoblade Chronicles X mottled radish mash or lacy potato? Ooh, uh, lacy potato. That was the first on my list of uh, item names that sound like porn stars. <laughs> uh, very good. I love this. Do you do these? Uh, do you do these in the podcast? By the way, um, routinely quizzes. Yeah, these kinds of quizzes. Uh, I do. I do like. Yeah, one of the fellows I do the podcast with. I'm fond of griefing him as much as possible with these kind of quizzes. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, that was great. That was great fun. Thank you. That is one of the things, like when you walk into a new area, you're, you're, you're looking at when you pick up a little blue dot, you, your eye sort of goes over to the little bit on the left where it tells you like what funky thing you just picked up. It's always entertaining to read those when you go into a new area. Uh, yep, yep, yep. They, they, and they have such crazy, bizarre names. I mean, everything does, right? Everything, I, I think yeah. I called it uh, not terribly creatively of me to say so in my review, but something like refrigerator magnet poetry names because they're just bizarre, bizarre names. I wonder too. Is it uh, like is there some some crazy poetry in the original Japanese that we miss out on? Because uh, it sounds it sounds weirdly beautiful in English. Like the names of some of these things. Yeah. Do, yeah. All right. Let's talk about because uh, I don't I don't know when you started playing, but I, I uh, Nintendo's really good about sending out advanced copies. So I, I jumped into this. I think a couple of weeks before it was out, um, and a lot of the online functionality was only turned on in a limited way. Uh, now that I've been playing and it's out in the wild, uh, it, it's a little different. Like, there's a lot more activity. Uh, there's the random chatting, which I quickly turned off. Um, how do you feel about the online support, or, or does that stuff even matter to you? You know, I didn't... So, okay, so I didn't do really any of the of the multiplayer actual play, you know, join up with a squad and go out and, and, and play in that capacity. I personally for me I, I tend to prefer unless the game is overtly multiplayer or explicitly multiplayer, you know, like this is why it exists. Um, I find more than enough in these kinds of games, you know, just, just sort of off wandering on my own. But I did Well let me ask you real quick, Matt, because yep. this this raises a question. Is that even an option? Because I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if you can actually team up and, like, play online with someone else. I, I thought, I, I guess I thought it was in part based on, I mean, I can double double check here, but in part I thought it was based on some of the messages that I saw where people were saying, you know, talking to each other and saying, hey, you know, come over here, do this thing, um, I'm expecting you here. Oh. No, you're right. I have seen stuff like, like, join me or, uh, I th- yeah, because I don't know anything about the actual teaming up with other people. Uh, well, I've. I looked into that myself. Put it put it this way: in the in the, I mean, this isn't necessarily an indicator of anything, but in the uh, in the strategy guide, the strategy guide is 512 pages long, counting the back plate and the section the section devoted to multiplayer. They call it social. Begins on page 508, and the manual ends on page 512. So there's four okay. pages, <laughs> four pages devoted to the social aspect of the game. Um, I I turned like you. I I turned off. Well, okay, I got, I, I got. Uh, what's the technical term for this? Where somebody tricks you? There's a f- name for it, and I'm, it's escaping me. Where somebody, Gre- somebody griefed me or, or lured me or whatever the, the thing is. With all, did you see a lot of the L plus A posts 
where they're saying L plus A, no. They're saying hold down L plus A. Press L, L plus A for reward. L plus A, blah, blah, blah. So I started doing it just because I was, you know, because I'm easily duped, I guess. I don't know. And it turns out what it is is it's a way, because I think those messages that are popping up are actually posting out to, um, what does Nintendo call it? It's online. Oh, the Weverse or the Meverse yeah. or the Meverse. Yeah, yeah. Right. So if you hit L plus A, I think when those messages are popping up, you like the thing. Like it, it shows up as a like. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked like I don't know a dozen <laughs> things because I kept thinking, oh wait, this is probably some feature that I'm not aware of. Like uh, I don't know, like when you're in combat and you can you know quick hit the up D pad and stuff if you want to tell people right. to focus fire or something. So I'm hitting L plus A, expecting something to happen. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And then I went and read about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that piece of the game... Well, what, well, what do you think? I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. I turned it off. Um, why do you think... What do you think they're trying to do there? Well, there is this... Uh, there are features that you don't have to do the whole hog, hey, I'm going to join with you and we're going to play at the same time thing. But it's, again, not entirely... I'm offline playing a single-player game. There's a, they're trying to give you a, a asynchronous multiplayer, like, online functionality. And some of those things I kind of like. Uh, it was a game called, oh, Dragon's Dogma, oh, where yeah. you're playing and you can you can rent out your, your character to your friends. Uh, and they can hire your character, and the character's in the party, and, and when they're done playing with your character, you get a reward. And you're never physically there playing the character. It's just they're borrowing your avatar. Uh, you can do that here. You can do what you can go to a little scout console and you can use someone else's avatar if they have registered their avatar and you play it at the moment I think the stated as at the moment the state it is at the moment that they register. So I think I last registered when my chick was like level twenty five or something. So Matt, if you were to go to one of those scouting avatars and say, Hey, look for Tom Chick's character, there would be me at level twenty five. I would join your party. Uh, I don't think you could swap out my skills or gear or anything. I would just have what I have, uh, and you could play with my mm. character. Um, so I like that feature a lot. You can also just randomly say, hey, give me a guy who's level blah, 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 who is of this class. Um, so if you're having trouble with a boss, uh, just temporarily, and it costs money, by the way. You spend some trivial amount of your space bucks. Uh, so if you're having trouble with a boss, just rent out a higher level dude. Um, or actually three of them if you want. You could fill all the slots with those characters. Uh, so that's one bit of the online they have. Um, they also have this idea... Are, are you, this took me a while to figure out. Are you clear on what divisions are? You know, I, 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 yes and no. Yes in the sense that when I first signed up, I, I understood that each one of them was going to let me do a certain thing faster. You know, I can't remember all the mm-hmm. specific ones that relate to the different different divisions. Can I just throw an aside in here? I find it fascinating that, that one of the divisions is called Reclaimer and that one of the armor suits that you can get or one of the clothing sets you can get is called, like, Forerunner. And I'm thinking... And, and then some of the aliens look vaguely Halo-ish, and I'm wondering if this is an, an, <laughs> intentional. <laughs> Reclaimer, Forerunner... Anyway, but yeah, back to the... <laughs> You know, if 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 uh, um, Takahashi, like, if he is enjoying Western games, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see uh, a, a Halo nod <laughs> here or there. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. So what? You know, what 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 are you? I I, I signed up for a division. I, I signed up for the Reclaimers, and then I promptly. I mean, the, the game says 
you don't have to worry about this. Uh, it doesn't even matter, really. Right. And so I said, all right, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm just, I'm just going to go off and do my thing. And it, 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 to this point, I'm not sure. Am I missing something, Tom? Well, have you been collecting your division rewards? You know, I see that little button winking at me up in the right-hand corner, mm-hmm. and every now and then it stops. And so I'm, I, I must be, but I, I guess I haven't. That there's a piece I haven't. No, you well, have not. You, okay. So you, I think I think they're vanishing. If you don't get them in a certain window, you don't get them. So if you go to the little, uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's in the barracks. It's down a hallway. There's a console, and there's always NPCs standing around it that you can oh, hire right. or talk to. Yes. So if you go there and you choose, and it's actually buried like a menu level down. If you choose division activity, then collect division rewards, something like that, uh, you'll get a menu of up to, like, what is it, seven things that you can choose among. Um, Some of them will be grayed out based on your division's rank. And the rank of a division is very simply how many players chose that division. Uh, So if you chose the most popular division, you can pick from any one of these... Oh, eight divisions, eight items. You can pick from any one of these eight items. If you chose the second most popular division you can choose from items 2 through 8. If you chose the third most, you can choose from items 3 through 8, and so on, to where if you pick the crappiest division, you're not going to get much choice. You're only going to get the eighth item, which is a crappy thing. Uh, So what this means, Matt, and this is weird to me, everybody, to an overwhelming degree, because you can look at how many people are in what division, I think they're in the prospector's division, because they know if they pick that... That's going to be in first place tomorrow. Everybody's going to get to choose from all of the rewards. So I don't think that it's, it's a weird system because I don't think there's any incentive to not be a prospector other than the division sets for you how and how many blade rank points you earn as you're playing. So if you're a prospector, when you go to one of those little archaeological, mechanical, or biological nodes, you get more blade rank points than normal. Uh, if you are a, uh, I think they call them negotiator, and you do one of the little town missions, you get more blade rank points than normal. If you are a, uh, I think they call them harriers, the offensive fighters, you get more blade rank points from battle. And all these blade rank points do is they increase your blade rank, which increases the number of nodes that you can mine out in, in the world. Uh, it's a weird system, and again, it's something that you can just not even really pay attention to. Uh, that's, I think, but I yes, think that's I, what happened to me. I, I'm remembering this now early. I'm going in and seeing that the, pers- and, and the prospectors were at the top, I think, by like a, a wide margin. And I kept going back and looking and seeing, and I just thought, well, well I picked the wrong class or something, because you know, I'm, I'm, my reclaimers are way down here. And then I kind of forgot about it and went off into the world, but... Uh, it, that's interesting. Because yeah. it does make you kind of sound like it's a class. Like, it does make it sound like... It, it does kind of warn you, hey, don't don't fuss too much over it. But it does make you it sound like, hey, you're picking this. Uh, this is how you advance. Um, but don't fuss over it too much. Because it's not entirely how you advance. It just gives you a bonus by doing that particular activity. You're still advancing. Like, even if I'm not a negotiator, I get blade rank points for doing those little town missions between people. It's just from a negotiator, I get more played rank points. Yeah. Well, and those are those are. I mean, yeah, we. I guess we didn't maybe didn't delve deeply into to that. There's. I don't know how 
much there is to say about it, but the blade rank, you know, I think I'm blade rank five or so. There, you have the mechanical, what the archaeological and the biological, um, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, getting, getting, accessing those things is so crucial. I mean, it's been a slow, slow, slow buildup for me, in, you know, probably in part because I'm not availing myself of, the, of, of these uh, uh, points. But you need these things to get probes because you can't buy probes. Yes, you, know, you can't just yep, exactly. walk up and buy them. And so, what do you, th- you know, what do you, th- what do you think um, about that? To go back to the beginning, because we started talking about Frontier Nav. What do you think about the mining system, the linking system? Uh, you know, you, you chain three, four, five together, and you know you're up. Uh, what do you think about all of that stuff as sort of a side game to the uh, the crawl, the, the exploration crawl? I think it becomes less of a side game, Matt, once you start uh, having to finance scales. Because mm. <laughs> that is kind of funny. It's when you first do it, you're like, oh, this gets me money and... Uh, molybdenum or whatever the millennia, I forget what the dead gummit, whatever the mineral is called. Yeah. And you're like, oh, whatever, I don't necessarily need it. Uh, once you get scales, uh, I, I think it behooves you, and I think a player will naturally go in and say, oh, well, geez, I better sort of tidy up my probe allocation. Um, because as soon as I got scales, I was like, oh, I need this mineral. I went through and sort of, because I love this sort of thing, I went through and like maximized the adjacency, and I, I looked at the value for minerals versus revenue for each probe, uh, for each node, and put the commensurate probe on top of it. Um, yes, this, I, you this, know, was this, this, this was, I had been kind of going along going, okay, you know, they told me to put probes out and I'm putting them out, but I'm not, I don't, yeah. I'm generating all this income and what am I doing? You know, I'm spending the uranium on the AMs, you know, the, the corporate, you know, groups and, and upgrading the weapons, but other than the uranium, all this other stuff just sitting here. So I kind of forgot about it. And then when you have to do those those eight labors of Hercules missions, one of them is you need to pull in like fifteen thousand and one right. thing. And I'm like, oh crap! I've got I'm, I'm only pulling in like four thousand or five thousand. How am I going to do this? And it forces you to go out and play that game and yes. figure it out. And I was yes. like, oh, this is brilliant. Now I now this makes sense. Now I know why. You know, and then you get skeletons and you go, well, that's where. Yeah. So. I love that. I forgot about that, Matt. Exactly. That's not like you think it, that's not busy work. That's sort of training you, hey, dummy, go optimize <laughs> your probes if you haven't already. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty clever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know what? I guess maybe I am coming around to the whole division thing. Uh, so I guess, too, the eight rewards you can get for the division. Division standing only determines what reward you can get. Uh, if you're more worried about advancing your blade rank, you don't necessarily want to pick prospectors because you might be doing one of the activities that gives you more points from one of the other um, divisions. Okay. Uh, so. so here's another online thing. Do you know about, and this is probably where grouping stuff comes in, but do you know about squad points? I do not. I do not. So when you play in the lower right-hand corner, you'll see five little squares, and each square has a picture and a number in it. Uh, each square, and if you hold... It shows that if you hold, like, left bumper and then right bumper, it'll highlight in succession each square and tell you what it represents. It represents a type of creature, sometimes very specific, sometimes broad, like insectoid, or specific, like, hey, those scurpo spider things, um, and a number of those creatures, or maybe a level, or maybe a particular item you have to find. Uh, if you then oh kill that number of things, you earn squad points. However... When you join the game, when you log in, you are dropped into a squad 
which is basically other players also playing the game, and you're with, with like 10 to 15 other people, and if they all pull together to meet these five requirements, and they're timed, by the way, I think they change every hour or so, then everybody in the squad gets extra squad tickets. Um, so it's basically giving you little dynamic, generated on the fly missions. You I guess do. I, I guess I did. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know. Um, I've been kind of ignoring them. I do know what you mean now. That little uh, with the little pictures of the heads of the types of the creatures yep. in the bottom. Yeah, right yeah, it's like the monster heads. Monster heads. And it, it, furthermore, Matt, it shows you if you see one of those creatures, it puts a little icon over it, so you know that it's like a squad designated. Uh, That's thing. right. It has that funky uh-huh. looking, like almost like a CD or S S S kind yes. of thing yeah. above the heads. Yeah, I, exactly. I would occasionally, I think, stumble in uh, into combat. Right, I'd run by one and they'd attack me, and I and I I'd, I'd kill it, and I'd get a little notice. But I, I, yeah, I guess that was one of of the of the. Uh, there are so many things. One of the things that I had not. You're earning. Into. You've got squad points then. I mean, you've earned squad points and, and might not even realize it. Now, here's the weird thing. So, what do you care about squad points? What do you do with those? I wasn't sure for a while until I found. Uh, in one of those consoles, I think it's again in that little NPC room in the barracks, uh, you can spend squad points to choose from a catalog of crafting materials. So if you really want to, you know, if you're, if you're really working on a specific character build and you're wanting to tweak weapons or maybe craft one of the new weapons uh, or maybe make a specific augment and you're missing, uh, you know, a uh, hairy purple mandible or something <laughs> like that, and you're like, oh god, I gotta go, cr- I gotta go farm a hairy purple mandible. First of all, I don't know where it is. I guess I'll Google it. I have to go kill the creature. Is it going to be level ten or level fifty? Who knows? Alternatively, you just go to the console with your squad points and you buy the hairy purple mandible from a catalog there for a given number of squad points. So it's kind of a shortcut for bottlenecks in the crafting system. Wow, okay. Uh, okay, well, can I... Can I, I want to just quick offer a compliment in your direction and just say one of the things that... Because this, this illustrates it, several of these last things on the multiplayer side is um, is that nothing escapes you, Tom Chick. <laughs> well, I love that. <laughs> I just love that because you, you, you so... You know, it is... It isn't that it's, I think, absolutely essential to understand every single system in in a, in a in a game this complex necessarily but i on the other hand i do think that it's well it's it's ultimately crucial to fully understanding what uh what the, you know what the vision was what the idea was how all this interrelates and i i just love getting to talk to you about this stuff because i'm learning i mean i, I can't believe it i'm still learning more about this game and uh you know and that you're you're helping me do so so anyway well it is I mean, it's 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 so rich and intricate, and it really does lend itself to this kind of almost scientific inquiry. Like I see, oh, there's a squad point. What does that do? Let me let me go down this rabbit hole figuring out what squad points do. Uh, and it's not a matter like there's there's references in the manual, uh, but sometimes that's fairly general. Uh, so yeah, I, I just love this sort of like any game that lets me bang on it this much and sort of question, hey, how does this work? What does this do? Let me test this and see where that goes. Uh, that's one of the things I do like about this. You know? and, and also, Matt, like, I feel like, like I, have, I have real confidence in this design that it won't necessarily go to some dead end or it won't simply not matter. One of the things that was hugely discouraging in Fallout 4 
was how much of it just didn't matter, whether it was the settlements or the fact that the the game is basically driven by the difficulty. Like, if I put it on too easy a difficulty and I don't realize it, in Fallout 4, I will never know, you know, every single game system in Fallout 4 is subverted by how easy you make Mm -hmm. the game. If I turn it down too easy, I'm just going to be playing a brain-dead shooter, and I'm not going to appreciate the weapon crafting or the, uh, the, the, the consumables like stim packs and the, the cooking stuff where you boost your stats. I'm not going to need any of that. Uh, yep. So I, I just love then Xenoblade Chronicles X. You know, these systems are here, and I trust that the designers in making the game also have a sense for how much things need to matter. This is how uh, this is how completely turned around Fallout 4 made me about the the whole um, uh, settlement system. I think I knew at some point because you know at some point Howard and, and, and team must have said we're not doing a multiplayer game. Um, but I I, had, I kind of forgot that when I started playing the game enough so that when I was doing the settlements I think I, that there was so much about the way the settlement it was so intricate, um, however clumsy the interface that that I was just assuming. I think, that, well, yeah. I, at some point I'm going to just go over and I'm going to go to the main menu and there's going to be a multiplayer option. I'm going to click that. And then I'm, then I'm going to have to defend my base from all these, you know, online people. Right, right. And then when I realized, you know, it's just going to be these in-game, you know, sort of sort of things that are going to occasionally happen. Uh, what a what a disappointment. I think that was the height of, of my disappointment with that game was, um, was just going, well, well, then why am I bothering doing any of this at all? And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It, did feel, it did feel like a dead end to me. It just makes that yeah. So it just makes it much more gratifying in a, in a game like this to really feel that the developers just insist that everything ties together and that certain things matter. Yeah. Uh, all right, real quick before we go, uh, what kind of avatar does Matt Peckham develop, design? Like, what what does your dude or chick look like? You can, I think you can see. I I, I have to. I confess, I pulled you up in my friends list, so I've, I've had a peek at yours, Tom Chick. Oh. You, you can see mine. If you like, um, but I'll try. I'll do my best to describe. Uh, I didn't know you could do that because right off the bat, by the way, the character builder lets you do all sorts of crazy things, and some people just love putting together like I'm just going to make some random stew of character building stuff. Other people get very particular about I want to look like this and have that, and uh, so what is your approach and what did you end up with? I, I I spent well. First of all, I liked there's a there's a visual continuity between the games in that the 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 I don't know what it is um, whatever it is that they're doing with the faces and the you know the eyes the eyebrows the way it looks you know like like you would you would look at an, a lot of anime and say that it has a certain continuity of stylistic things going on there's a con, there's a continuity between the Xenoblade games that uh, you know I, I I could see I could tell right away like I would have almost been able to see from the physiognomies or, or physiologies rather what uh, uh, that I was playing a Xenoblade game. I kind of rushed through it a little bit because because uh, I don't I didn't care as much I guess. Um, but I sure. went with ultimately I kind of went with I guess my character kind of looks a little bit like a, a pouty version of Waka from Final Fantasy X. <laughs> like black hair. You were, first of all, you're such a JRPG nerd that you assume I would know what oh. that is. <laughs> did you did you play Final Fantasy Ted? Do you know the the uh, t- you know Titus, the main character, the blonde haired character? I don't know if you know the the guy. I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't think I, that's not ringing any okay, bells. Okay. I'm afraid. Well, he's kind of he's kind of a a, a, a muscular uh, surfer dude. So I went with a kind of a skinny um, pouty version of that. He's got the 
he's got this hair, Waka had this hair thing where it kind of, uh, if you push your hair up from the sides to the middle, like a mohawk, I guess. What am I trying to do? Okay, kind of like, right. like a funky mohawk. So, <laughs> so that, that was my pick. And then, oh, and we didn't talk about the, uh, the fashion system, but I, I guess it Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Go if on. You're, if you're into that, that's a. I love that as an option. I'm seeing a lot of people talk about how much they love that. You can in this game, you can equip, you know, the armor that you would like with this, mm-hmm. you know, with the stats that you prefer, and then go have some other stuff that you like the way it looks more, and tell the game to display that stuff instead, while enjoying the uh, the benefits of the stuff that you know you're actually wearing. So it's sort of like you know Superman Clark Kent, I guess you know kind of thing going on i and i love that too because that's again in well a lot of rpgs but again that's something in fallout like i don't want to look you know i'm wearing this for functional reasons but good lord i look ridiculous you know why can't i choose some sort of aesthetic consistency for what my character looks like uh and yeah i love that they let you do that because again it's a third person game you're going to spend a lot of time just looking at these characters you can do this by the way with all your party members as well um so, I, yeah, I've decked out people to look a very particular way, and just because I find better gear, I don't want that to change. So so does it show you, by the way, like what like my main avatar I've chosen for her to wear? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not remembering here. I'm just hopping in to, to see if I can even look. Um, it shows me some of your – it shows me your statistics, I think. You know, like I see where you're at. I saw your level. I saw your blade rank. I saw your – your uh, 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 class. I, we're both we're both last right. fencers right like, now. I think. So things that would matter if you if you recruited my character and, and had her in the party. Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. But I'm wondering too because there's a lot of options. Like, you can make yourself look ridiculous, and you can wear like big bulky armor with no pants if you want. And <laughs> I, I, some people do that. I kind of feel like I want my characters to have some dignity. <laughs> so. I, I don't, like, make her wear, like, super bulky armor. She just wears fashionable, like, jeans and a tank top. She doesn't wear a goofy hat. Uh, she just looks like a normal person. Like, I kind of love having a normal person running around in this crazy, fantastical environment. Yeah, yeah uh, I have to say, I think I, when, I, when I saw it, I guess I don't know. I, I'm not, I haven't looked at a lot of your avatars. Some people like to just go crazy all the time, and I was, I was uh, impressed by the uh, demureness. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Of your accoutrements, or I can't even pronounce that word. However, that's pronounced. So you, you know, by the way, you've used accoutrements and physiognomy both correctly tonight, and pronounced them well, Matt. So, <laughs> a hat tip to you for that's those. A compliment uh, from from uh, someone who, who's, who, who's uh, uh, grammar is probably greatly exceeds my own. So. <laughs> uh, so all right, well, Matt, I really appreciate you hanging out and uh, talking uh, to me. Now, uh, so. You know, I look at your top ten. I'm sorry, I don't see Xenoblade Chronicles X in there. You must not have liked it as much as those other ten games. Did, did you Did you see what I did though? What I had to do there? Did you, uh, well, I saw in your review you were like, "Oh, I, I played it too late. I couldn't put it in the list. Otherwise, it would be." But if you look at your top ten list, it's not in there. Time Time has this strange thing, and I'll and I'll go on record as a Time employee saying this because um, you know I, I tease my editor about it uh, at Time, where I think we have to turn in. Well, I know we have to turn in the list. I think it runs. I wasn't even paying attention. It just suddenly showed up one day. We have to turn in the list like at the end by the end of uh, October, and what for your for your year your year end list has to be done at the end of October. At the end of October, and so like Rise of the Tomb Raider, which was my number two game, I, I turned in I turned right. in the list and it wasn't on there. Um, I don't know if I I don't know um, how much I'll upset anybody that probably nobody's going to read my list, but 
for the ones that do and happen to tune in the podcast, I originally had uh, Bloodborne in my top ten. I turned in the list, and I, you know, I, I hop over into November, and the list sat in limbo for a couple of weeks. And I then proceeded because I was trying to catch up. I then proceeded to play Rise of the Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. and was just fell in love with the game. And uh, uh, and so went back at the last minute and said, I, you know, I hate to do this, but I have to pull something and, and, and put this in. So there's a little bit of that that goes on, some inside baseball here. But uh, but then I went back, and you know, too late, the list ran. And I knew this might happen because I was anticipating Xenoblade Chronicles X being probably not awful. And uh, and started playing it very late. I had it like you for weeks and weeks, but I was catching up on all this other stuff. Finally got to it, and then you know just put up the review today. And So I'm calling it my addendum to my top 11 of 2015. <laughs> It's like an amendment to the Constitution, yeah. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You have, you'll have, you have uh, your lists are coming up, I think, aren't they? Oh, I'm working on them now. Like I don't know. I, Xenoblade Chronicles X. As much as I'm enjoying it, it's not in my top ten for some of the reasons we talked about. But sure. uh, you know, I do also other lists like most disappointing, most surprising, and uh, I don't know if it'll find its way there. But I would say, as much as I'm enjoying it. I, I just have enough reservations that there are ten things. You know, I like it a lot, but there are ten things I like better. Okay. And actually, Matt, like I haven't even, I haven't written my review yet. I normally don't read reviews for games that I'm still playing. I knew we would be talking, so I, I read your review. But for the listeners, I would encourage them to look. Go to time.com. Your review is there. Uh, your top ten. Apparently, I didn't see this with an addendum <laughs> with Xenoblade Chronicles X is there, and uh, you got to talk to. Uh, I'm always afraid I'm screwing it up. Tatsuya Takahashi, you got to talk to him, and you have uh, linked next to your review. You can see uh, some some important points that you got from your conversation with him about Xenoblade Chronicles X. I would encourage folks to go and, and check those things out at, at time.com. So, Matt, thank you uh, for this conversation. Uh, let's be squad buddies. Hey, amen, man. And hey, thank you, Tom. It's a privilege to be able to talk to you. It really is. We will be back next week. Uh, I will be uh, bringing Jason McMaster on, and we will be doing our rendition of some of the most dramatic moments of gaming in uh, 2015. So join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I have been privileged to be joined by Matt Peckham, and we will see everyone here next week. One, two, three, four.